up gaming memories is back straight from the quarantine bitches uh have you been practicing your social distancing hmm because i am the designated hall monitor of this here society i am the prophet the duly anointed and uh you guys know the drill i have been commissioned by the gaming gods themselves miyamoto the father kojimi the son and carmack the holy ghost to create the one true gaming podcast simply by interviewing creative and interesting people about their favorite gaming memories growing up. And on this episode of the podcast, I have the Double Bro Down special from the boys over at the Retro Hangover podcast. Christian Shane, they've been uh, they've been doing their thing since 2015, some OGs of the podcast game. Not to mention they're both they're both OG gaming nerds. Both born uh, actually, excuse me, one born in 86, I believe, in 85 if my memory serves correct. Born around the same time as me a lot of the listeners are similar age so the games that they go through uh starting with generally the nes i won't ruin some of the surprise because one of them didn't have the nes as their first console which came as a surprise but we go through a lot of games that i'm sure will be familiar to a bunch of you and uh all in all we had a grand old time we go but 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 balls deep into jrpgs jrpgs look i said <laughs> I'm going to drink for my intros because every time I drink a lot, people tell me my intros are better. So I said JRPGs. That's okay because JRPGs are fucking cheesy and I'm into the cheese. Give me mixed, shredded, Mexican, pepper jack, Swiss. I want it all, bitch. Put it all together. That's what I want. JRPGs. Actually, I talk a little bit about anime and how I don't like anime and some certain aspects of the cheesiness of anime I tolerate because anime has Dope action scenes, dope premises, and a lot of times a really dope style in general. That's how I feel about JRPGs. Even when I was growing up, there was definitely things that I tolerated, but the things that I loved, I loved so much, I would put up with quite a bit. And the problem is, now that I'm older, I don't have as much time to put up with bullshit I don't like. I only have so much time. I don't want to fill it with something that I love 50% of the time. And 50% of the time, I uh, tolerate. That's why I'm stoked for the Final Fantasy VII Remake, which we had mixed opinions on, on the episode of the podcast. Yeah, I was going to rant a little bit more about coronavirus and shit, but I'm not really feeling it, to be honest with you. I think that's a waste of time. I want these episodes to be timeless. Let's just say this. Because I am a prophet, and I'm about the profits, which I have been making bank during the coronavirus uh, what'd you call it? Fiasco? Epidemic? Pandemic? I've been making bank. Look, if you have some disposable income, I still think you can be smart with it. Don't take my advice. I'm a drunk dude that you don't even know who he is. But I will say this. I knew that the coronavirus was going to stall the stock market. So I just take this advice. I think it's fair advice. It's what I'm doing myself. So far, it has worked. I don't feel bad about telling you because I want everyone to at least get something out of this. Look at, look at a stock or a cryptocurrency. It would be really hard with cryptocurrency. But look at a stock that has been really stable for five years, maybe a few up and downs. But if it's been stable for five years and it's been moving up generally on average for the last five years, then it dropped more than 50%. Since like March 1st, February 28th, 29th, put some money in that because chances are it's not 100% guarantee, but chances are that shit going to rebound at least back to where it was or close to back to where it was. I've been shooting for things that at least were half. So let's say uh, Delta Airlines was like 
I don't remember what it was. Let's say, for example, it was 80 bucks. I only bought when it was below 40, and it was only f- uh, below 40 for a short period of time. It doesn't mean that there aren't other stocks out there that fit that criteria. There's so many stocks. Uh, I'm sure you could find one that still, even at this point, even though the market's recovered a little bit, there still could be some shit going on. It could dip again. But I think that if you look at something that's been relatively stable for the last five years, drops below 50%, there's a good chance the economy will recover in a semi-short period of time, and you will get that money back. Um, that's all I'll say about coronavirus. I want to be positive. Instead of gloom and doom, look, there's a way that you can turn this into a little bit of a blessing. I don't want to say blessing, though. That's kind of messed up. I saw a uh, post about a woman who was basically framing her son sent home from an LDS mission as a blessing from God, an angel in the form of the COVID-19 virus saved her son and sent her son home early from, I just, (sighs) man, it's a terrible thing that's happening. I don't know how bad it really is. Sometimes there's some evidence out there that the death rate is not as bad as it seems, which is, I like good news. I like to be optimist. Coming out of Germany, uh, I think besides South Korea, uh, you might want to, definitely anything that comes out of my mouth, you're going to want to fucking fact check. Don't listen to me for shit, only for entertainment purposes. And if something I say sparks your curiosity, definitely don't take my word for it. Do your due diligence. But I believe either the number one country or the number two country as far as robust testing is Germany. It might be South Korea's number one. But Germany, uh, I think the number in the article I read on NPR, which is a fairly fucking credible source, not perfect, but fairly credible, is 120,000 tests a week. Now, their death rate was 0.5%. They're testing way more people. And uh, there's been some definitely experts chiming in their opinions that have been talking about severity, vi- severity bias, which is essentially... Most of the people in the beginning, because we were trying to uh, conserve testing and the infrastructure wasn't really there to react to the pandemic, was focused on only testing people who had direct contact, especially in the beginning, who had recently traveled to China or direct contact with another known uh, positive test. So we weren't really testing that many people. Meanwhile, Germany's like, "Mm, yes, we are all Spocks. We think with our brain only, only perfect efficiency that is the worst goddamn german accent of all time i don't even know what that was forgive me i'm a prophet i can't make mistakes just let that one slide but the point is the germans were like ivan drago who's actually russian but eh, it's the same shit they're both white look we can we can lump white people together it's not racist you can say what everyone all fucking white people look the same ivan drago and hitler same shit in my book can't judge me for that they're both white the point is the germans pure efficiency Pure logic. Just start testing everybody. 120, 120K tests a week. Ramping up. They have a whole shit-ass ton of uh, positive cases. They're not doing social distancing. They're hanging out at the park. They don't give a shit. Why? 0.5%. That's actually still pretty damn high if everyone gets affected. But the point is, that's good news. Because there have been estimates, of, especially in the beginning when it was first happening, there were some crazy-ass estimates. I saw like 18%. If it was 18%, we'd all be fucked. Luckily, it's not. And luckily, we got lucky this time. I'm super grateful that in uh, South Korea, Taiwan, and Germany, the death rate is looking to be a lot lower than initially expected. And I think that an NPR uh, postulates the same thing is most likely due to the fact that as testing uh, gets better and severity bias, severity bias, which is only basically 
only the most symptomatic people are getting tested. And there's a lot of people who are asymptomatic, meaning they don't show any symptoms or they're like mild symptoms and they don't go get tested because it's pretty close to a common cold. They can't tell the difference. They're not exactly sure. They're not getting... They're not getting labeled as official cases. So only the, the, the most severe cases are getting labeled as official cases, and the most severe cases are also the most likely to result in a death, which is unfortunate. And then by no means do I want to minimize anyone who's been like has a personal death. That's like stresses me out. My brother has heart failure. His doctors basically say if he gets it, he's fucking donezo. He's fuck city. Uh, it's, 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 I'm not making a light of it, but the good news is, uh, it may not be as bad as we initially thought. So that's not popular. Here's my theory. People like bad news. I asked my wife this. My wife is a rock star. Listen to this. I have a theory that people secretly want this to be crazy. You know how everyone makes the jokes? Like it would be badass if the zombie apocalypse happened. Why do we make that joke? Why do we love the walking dead? Why is the thought of societal collapse? Every goddamn sci-fi movie is like post-apocalyptic some sort of shit ruins society. It all breaks down. I think that we're all trapped. We're all too spoiled. We're all just like these little bitches in fluffy beds of of silk and silk and refined sugar and Netflix. And we're just like aching to have it all torn down because, I don't know, god damn it. It's too easy. But the point is, is I think people actually want things to be worse. It's crazy. It's almost like a real-life global gossip. We all can get online and we can talk about coronavirus. Everything can be crazy. Everything's buzzing. It's crazy. It's unprecedented. It's exciting. It's new. It's different. But it's also scary. But we want things to be scary because life's too easy. Anyway, I asked my wife, if you're being totally honest with yourself, is some aspects of this whole coronavirus debacle, coronavirus pandemic exciting? And she's like, yeah, it is exciting because... I don't know, where I'm talking to my family more. It's it's different. It's uh, where Life at home is different. We're making some improvements. Some things are annoying, but it's scary, but it's exciting. And obviously, mainstream news is, look, it's a business. It's an entertainment business. Not only am I making money on the stock market, but we do market. Like, look, the marketing people are making a hell of cash on this. And good news does not drive clicks. And that's deep down, that's because deep down, all of us, it's like, I think we're all pessimists by nature. My good friend told me his idea behind this is the pessimists are the one who survived back in the day because the optimists got eaten by tigers and shit. The people who weren't paying attention just lackadaisical like, yeah, life's so good. Fuck it. Who cares? I'm going to go eat this berry. I'm not going to pay attention to my surrounding. Snatch! Tiger from the back of the bushes snatches him up. I just got a house cat. Those things are little killers. It's a kitten. It's a baby little kitten. And when it plays with me, it's so fast. Anyway, I could see, I mean, look, back in the day, guaranteed, if you weren't paying attention, a big cat could fuck you up before you even know what's happening. And I think the people that were full of anxiety and fear and pessimists and preparing for the future, they are the ones that survived and passed their genes on, more likely than not. So now we're all these anxiety-ridden just and then this pandemic happens. Who knows? I don't know what's happening. I don't even know how I got on this topic. I told myself I wasn't going to rant. The point being is I don't even know what the point being is. Oh, yeah. The point being is let's be a little positive. I know we're wired to be uh, negative. The, the whole internet marketing world is wired to make money off sensationalism. It's a big problem. We should be worried. Stay safe. If you're high risk, definitely don't fucking go outside. Go home. If you live with someone, you visit people, you hang out with people who are high risk, don't go outside. And as long as the experts are saying everybody shouldn't go outside, 
I'd err on the side of following the experts, but the, the lining, the silver lining in the sand is the death rate may not be as bad as we think because of severity virus. Who cares? Let's get to some video games. The retro hangover dudes are badasses. JRPG games from 85 to current. Check their podcast out. I will put all the applicable links in the podcast description. If you want to look for them right now, retro hangover, just type it into the search bar, whatever podcast platform. They're on all of them. Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Retro hangover. Chris, Shane, badasses. Enjoy the show. I say these things and me more to the Father, which you mean the Son, and Carmack the Holy Ghost. Love you. Amen. Retro Hangover. You guys have been around since 2015. Yes. That sounds about right. Kind of. Yeah. What uh, what prompted you so early? Bef- and that was kind of during the podcast boom, I guess. You're an early adopter. <laughs> I'm just a trendy, trendy wannabe. I mean, we might have been an early adopter, but I feel like we also kind of missed the boat on that one because we took a little bit of a hiatus. So now we're, we're coming back during the boom. So I don't, know, I don't know how I feel about that, but things yes. are going all right. We're having fun. Yeah. I think that's what's important. How'd you guys? How do you guys know each other? Uh, we originally started hanging out. I guess uh, there was a video game, like I would call it a party, like the video game party. I forgot what exactly it was called. You remember what it was called Shane? Oh shit! Um, Arcade Jacks. The no, Arcade Jacks. Yeah, there you go. That's what it was. It's been so long now, and I'm old. So yes, and so we started hanging out around uh, 2014, maybe late 2013. It was just a, a group of people in the gaming community in jacksonville that went to this bar downtown uh where essentially just there's a bunch of arcade games and a bunch of uh video games and our nintendo host the guy who's with us for our nintendo segments on our podcast he hosted it and it was always a good time we just met up there and we became friends that way and eventually it led to having drinks at various other bars and we were like hey our conversations are pretty cool let's have a podcast yeah we ended up having people actually kind of like stop into our conversations while we were sitting at the bar or whatever and start joining in talking about like, I remember that Nintendo. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, I mean, I guess if people want to hear us talk about this shit, then we might as well do it. So, yeah, that's interesting. When I have just my group of friends that they were basically the same thing. People are interested in video games more than I initially thought. Mm-hmm. And out of the same thing, I would be hanging out with friends. We'd be talking to some shit and then strangers would join the conversation because they were yeah. also interested in whatever the game was or the new studio or whatever. And I'm like, wow, this it's gotten, it's bigger than I thought. Everybody games. It seems like, Oh yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, even down to, you know, candy crush on your phone, I guess. Is that true? That's a, that's a dated reference. I don't now, count isn't it? that. That doesn't count. No. People still play <laughs> candy crush. Don't hate. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I don't know. That's going to be an episode of ours in like nine years. So, oh God, <laughs> that's when we have officially jumped the shark. Looking forward Retro to hangover it. will be over by the time we start talking about candy crush. <laughs> no, but the arcade jacks thing was cool though. Um, they had like chiptune DJs and stuff there and, uh, like retro consoles set up with like CRTs and stuff. So it was pretty legit. Unfortunately, it was, I guess it was just a big time commitment um, for the guy that was running it. And so he kind of had to step back and no one's really filled that void. So uh, maybe, maybe someday, or maybe it will be us. Oh, that'd be cool. Maybe it could be you. So you guys are in, it sounds like you're in Jack, you said Jackson, Jacksonville, Florida, Jacksonville. Yeah. Yeah. Jacksonville. 
Where's that located in Florida for us dummies? South Georgia. Where? <laughs> <laughs> and if you're not being a dick about it, it's like north, north, northeast, northeast Florida. Northeast. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And is is does all the quote Florida man stuff happen in a concentrated area of Florida, like Miami, or is it all over Florida? You're in danger of running. It's just the craziest shit at any time could happen. Oh, it's all over. It's pretty much. It's pretty much anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> he gets around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just uh, just in our backyard, we have Middleburg, and even where I'm at, it's not quite Middleburg, but it's basically Middleburg. That's pretty much a a, a meth emporium. Uh, you can, if you want to find meth, you can you can get it in Middleburg. I mean, just the name of it sounds. I mean, that's where Leonard Skinner came from. So you already know you're in that part of the world. Also, he's bringing this up because that's where I live right now, and he's an asshole. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> it's not. It's not a lie, though. You know, it's the truth. No, it's 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 a hundred percent accurate. Yes. Why is uh from your perspective as you guys grow up in Florida lifelong? No, I did not know. Neither of us. Nope. Where are you guys from originally? Shane, go ahead. Chris, you want to go? Oh, I'll answer oh, that. Shit. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll go. go. Uh, I grew up outside of Chicago uh, originally. I grew up in a city called Wheaton. It's about 30, 40 miles southwest of Chicago, uh, DuPage County. Real more of an upper scale kind of area. It still gets just as cold, though. And yeah, I lived there for the my entire childhood. And then I turned 18, joined the Navy, and they shipped me off to Florida, where I've essentially been for my entire adult life. Ah, uh-huh. okay, that makes sense. Liked it enough to stay. In Florida? Well, I've just been... <laughs> He's over there <laughs> making faces. <laughs> I, I've just been... I've been lucky enough to be stationed here. I'll put it that way. Uh, it's just... Okay. It's kind of just luck instead of choice. There's choice, but mostly luck. <laughs> And where were you? Where Where are you from? Yeah, so um, so I was originally from Maine. Actually, um, I was born and raised there, and lived there until I was about uh, I want to say twenty five or so ish. Um, then I ended up moving down here to Florida. the The short version of that story is I ended up uh, picking up some property out here in the country from my cousin who uh, owned it at the time, and he wanted to move closer in town. And it was like basically the same amount of money I was paying for a two bedroom apartment in Maine. So I was like, I don't know, why not? And so I ended up here. And that's uh, that's pretty much the story. Nice. And then you guys end up meeting at this arcade bar, having a few drinks, hit it off. People are like, wow, you guys sound cool when you talk. And then you decided to do a <laughs> podcast. And then it sounds like you took a br- So you started in 2015. And you said you took a two-year break. When was the two-year break? Uh, 2016 to, what, like late 2018 when I got back from Diego Garcia? Yeah, I think it was something like that, yeah. Yeah, if you go if you go back into our back catalog and take a look at the uh, episode dates, you'll see a very giant hole. So Yeah, I had to. So the thing was, is in 2016, I got sent off to Bahrain, which is a small island country in the Middle East. And I had to stay there for a year. And there's no... It's not like there was no internet, but because of the nature of my job, I was essentially gone out of Bahrain for eight out of the 12 months I was there. And then I went Mm. to the tiny island of Diego Garcia, which is a territory in the absolute fucking middle of nowhere in the the Indian Ocean. (laughs) And they had internet there too, but the problem was for 16 gigabytes per month, you had to pay $150, and I wasn't about that action. 
Yeah, we had briefly mm. considered trying to do... I mean, because we actually record our episodes remotely anyway, even though we live in the same city. It's just easier for us, and we have our Easier own. for scheduling, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so we did that anyway. So we had talked briefly about you know doing some remote episodes while he was overseas, and that was just like... With the internet situation down there, that was a no-go. Like, it probably would have been better to, I don't know, like, airmail a USB drive with a recording on it than... <laughs> then that try to easy. do it that way yeah <laughs> and then would you guys so to get, tell people who are listening like what um i guess what the formula for your podcast is you want me to take this one go for it okay uh yeah so the format's actually changed a number of times um over the, the years that we've existed if you go back and listen to our first few episodes it was just super free form like we just kind of bullshitted about video games and had some sort of pretense of talking about like you know current game news and, and stuff like that but at the time it was just him and i sitting at a table with one like snowball microphone and just kind of doing yeah, our thing yeah. with beer um with beer and all that <laughs> part hasn't changed for the most part but um but yeah so the format changed a couple times but what we've settled on now that seems to work pretty well and people seem to like um is you know each episode kind of focuses on one particular uh retro gaming topic whether it's a game or like a company or an industry figure or a system you know something like that and uh you know we kind of talk a little bit about what we've been up to what we've been playing um and then we have a scripted portion that talks about the brief history of the topic that we're talking about for that episode um and then uh the rest of the you know, the time is just kind of us talking about our experiences with that particular thing um, and how we feel about it. And we usually like to wrap up talking about, you know, whether we think it still holds up today. Like if you were to go and play it now, whether you mm -hmm. had yes. nostalgia for it or if you were just coming to it brand new, like, is this something that's worth your time? So that's that's kind of what we've been sticking with. That's a good format. I uh, Who does the scripted part? We trade off, actually. Um, trade off? Yeah, Chris and I trade off every other episode. We uh, will write the script and then read the scripted portion. And Shane edits all of my writing because I have terrible grammar. I do, yes. <laughs> you sound like a good guy, Shane. What a, what a charitable I, man. I do what I can, yeah. And then uh, who, do you also do the editing of the podcast? I I do, yeah. I am I am editor, producer, all that all that good stuff. Do you uh do you edit edit like go through listen to the whole thing or just cuz I tried that for one episode and I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. If I sound <laughs> stupid, whatever. I'll sound stupid. Yeah, so that that's part of where my I guess perfectionism comes into play because I'm I guess I'm masochistic in that way that I I go through every one of our episodes and I edit the whole thing. I take out ums and ahs i tightened up silences i do like during the scripted portions now you know i like to do like backing audio tracks for that yeah and all that. yeah so it's good thank you thank you yeah but um yeah, yeah man it, it takes time a... oh sorry go ahead no i just it, it takes time like we try to stick to about an hour per episode now by the way if you ever go back and listen to our first ones they're just like three hour long ramble sessions which is fantastic but um editing like an hour man takes at least three usually with the way I do it. So have you guys listened to business wars by chance? No, uh, no, I haven't. No, the, your scripted portion, like the format reminds me of your scripted portion, just turned into a whole show by itself. Okay. And they, they, they basically just do like these really 
I want you to say like simplified down to the gist of what happened on these business rivalries. But they, the reason I bring it up is they have a really good one with Nintendo versus Sony and Sony versus Xbox. Between uh, the two of them, it goes all the way from like 1970 till current day and the rivalries and the business moves. But it's it's like scripted. But based on their research, like the the conversations obviously aren't what they actually say, and then they do the backing tracks with the little sounds, and um, I think you'd like it. I think you'd get inspiration. It's really, really well put together, and it's. A, I found a. I the PS One was already my favorite console, mm-hmm. and when I learned more about how that came to be, it's mm-hmm. like now it's in the godhead for me. I just loved the story behind the PS One. It's. I don't want to ruin it, but it's basically like one dude. One Japanese dude's dream for thirty years to make a three D a three D graphics console because he saw like some high tech stuff in the seventies and knew mm-hmm. that it would eventually get there. And he spent his whole life to make the PS one happen, and it almost didn't happen because Nintendo backstabbed Sony and they were collabing and blah blah blah. And it's a really cool story. They they do a really good job. I have to check that out first of all because you know it's not like there's a whole hell of a lot more we could do with the recent events that are going on right now. So we can yeah. always find a podcast. You're right. <laughs> I have video chat. I'm able to see Shane's face. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes, I was looking. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, so, uh, I don't know how, speaking of Florida, Florida, man, uh, you guys, your beaches seem to be pretty popular despite recent events. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I have my own thoughts on that one. But it's like, it's spring break, man, right? You don't want to miss out on that. It's true. I get it. I mean... I don't know. It's just, people were just making. It was just funny that that came. Another thing that came out of Florida. It's like, mm. oh my god, another headline out of Florida. Yeah, <laughs> and they'll just they'll just head back to where they're at, and they'll just you know continue to spread the positivity. I'm sure. <laughs> right, that's that what was, we're uh, calling it. What's the status in Florida right now? I'll probably put this up pretty quick. Like, how are you guys in Utah? It's like no restaurants, no bars, takeout only. Pretty much on. Is that how you guys are too? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty much the same here. Yeah, my kids are out of school until April fifteenth. Right now, I know that's going to get extended. I'd, I'd be surprised if uh, the school year did not get canceled. I think it's done for the rest of the year. So, yeah, it's pretty much. I think we're all in the same situation nationwide right now. Just pretty much locked down in our homes and can't go out to restaurants. I know that kind of irritates Shane because he wanted to get out of the house because we were. Talking about going to beers after this, I was joking with him, leading him down that path. But yeah, that's not going to happen, unfortunately. <laughs> you can't tease me like that, man. He was like, he messaged me in Discord, and he was like, "Yeah, we're gonna grab drinks after this." And I was like, "Yeah, I'd be down." He's like, "All the places are closed." I'm like, "Man, fuck you!" Like, <laughs> but no, I mean, so my fiance is actually a high school teacher, and um, they they hadn't extended spring break, but uh, obviously this doesn't apply to everybody. But for their particular like county, um, they're going to 100 percent on online classes uh starting next week so that's going to be an interesting change we we have to set up a, another office space here in the house so that she can uh do some virtual teaching so yeah making the making the adjustment to work from home i think for a lot of people is pretty weird it can be it's i mean it's not for me i work in technology like you know during the day so i uh i already kind of work from home a couple days a week usually so it's not a huge change for me but i can definitely understand uh some other folks this is uh this is a new territory for a lot of people i've been teaching some some folks how to do teleconferencing so that's been fun 
Yeah, working from home. That sounds... Oh, go ahead, Kate. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was. Yeah, I was. You, you got it. You're up, bro. Yeah, I'm actually just working from home. Same. Same with myself. Is it's the current job I'm doing. I know I'm in the military, so this is probably going to be somewhat surprising to a lot of people. Uh, just the current nature of my job and where I'm at isn't completely foreign because most of it's just checking emails and following up with people and uh, just making sure the communication piece is, is being enabled between us and, and other entities. So I'm fortunate enough to be in that position right now where I can continue to work from home. If they ever allow me to, I'm still not allowed to, but it's going that direction. So with everything being crazy, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate to be in that position. And I do feel for the people who, who can't like the grocers and you know, yeah, uh, first yeah. responders, uh, you know, medical facilities, like my heart's out to them. They they are really showing that they are the true backbones of our society right now. And I have the utmost respect for them. Yeah, I have a, I had a similar just feeling today. I went to the grocery store to pick up some food. I work from home. I do marketing. Like it's the same thing. Nothing's really changed for me. And I've, I'm super lucky, and I my went to the grocery store. I was picking up some food, and the the cash register lady was a, like a really older lady, probably like seventy. Mm. I guess mm. between seventy and eighty. It's like, oh, she's super high risk. Like, what is she doing working here? Right? Well, like, what you know? But someone's got to. And I just told her. I said, hey, I, I really appreciate appreciate you working, um, so I can get food. I hope it works out for you. And she just looked at me and was like, thank you. And uh, I just had that moment where I'm like, oh man, that is, it's kind of easy when you, I already worked at home. So like, I don't know, things, life hasn't changed much other than the internet has been crazy and people talking about Corona. But for me, there's been like no real impact other than my, yeah, my kids don't go to school. So they're at home and they're kind of annoying. They're at home all day. But other than that, like nothing's really changed, you know? But then there was this lady who's like, she's probably stressed the whole time she's working. Oh, I'm sure. I don't oh, even yeah. really think she sh- she shouldn't even be working. I should have said something more like, oh man, maybe she needs the money or something. But like, what are you doing, <laughs> touching all these groceries full of like, go uh, home? It's crazy. Yeah, go home. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's weird because of the fact that like I'm you know I'm I'm more used to working remotely. Um, like you were saying, it hasn't been a huge change. Uh, so I've been kind of insulated from a lot of what's been kind of going on out here. But just yesterday, I, for the first time since all this went down, I went out to, um, to the, uh, the grocery store to pick up just like a couple of things. It wasn't even like food or anything and certainly not toilet paper because that's impossible to find (laughs) people are dumb, but like, uh, I just, I actually, okay, I needed to get some trash bags, and while I was there, I was going to grab, like, a thing of, like, cleaning solution or whatever, and, um, man, like, that, that kind of drove it home for me, because, like I said, that was the first time I've gone out, and just the shelves are empty, it's like, I had a hard time just finding trash bags, and it's just, uh, it's crazy, man. Yeah, even at our military commissaries. Where you expect probably expect a little bit higher standard with how people purchase and controlling their natural urges in, in a panic kind of condition. You go to a military commissary. Our commissaries right now are completely out of toilet paper and uh, paper towels and meat and all this kind of stuff. Like you know, so you know, like what certain kinds of meat are just inedible when no one's buying them even in a crisis when you see like ham hocks and uh tripe so you know that that's that's at the very bottom of people's lists but yeah chicken is completely wiped out most of the beef is completely wiped out and it's just absolutely shocking that this is happening at all levels of society what i want to know is what your theory is because everyone's making fun of 
the the hoarding of toilet paper. Hmm. Like I don't see anyone that supports it. No one should. Y'all, everyone, everyone rolls their eyes and goes, "That's stupid." It is. Yet, who are all these people buying the toilet paper? I don't know anyone that thinks it's a good idea. They they do they do it in secret. That's what it is. Yeah. No, I I don't know, man. No, it's just like I, I honestly I don't I don't know what the rationale behind it is. Like I've had this conversation with a couple other people over the last couple of weeks, you know, since this has been happening, and um, I don't know. Like I, it's it's sort of the same thing as like you see those pictures of you know people buying like eighteen gallons of milk. I'm like, listen, unless you've got a family of ten at home, there is no way you are going to drink all of that before it goes bad. You know, so it's just, I don't know if it's a lack of forethought or consideration for, you know, your fellow human beings. I, I I don't know what it is. Like, for me, rationally, the first thing I would go to is not, yo, I need to go grab as much toilet paper and milk as I can find. Like, what? why would that be the first thing you go to? I, I, I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. I don't <laughs> get it. I- and nobody gets it. So who are these people? I, I, I think it's more of a cascading <laughs> panic situation. Uh, you had an initial wave of people who are just stupid and think any panic situation. Because, I mean, I, I think, like, earthquakes, hurricanes, stuff like that, that's going to happen where you might lose power, a prolonged experience where you're going to have to stay in your house for a prolonged period of time. You have no power. You have no water. You have no ability to go outside your house. Uh, and facilities won't be open because they may be destroyed. So you're going to have these people thinking that, oh, my God, I need to go get out and get all this toilet paper. So now the toilet paper is gone because of idiots. And now who are normally rational and sane people are going to be like, oh, shit, I'm almost out of toilet paper. So they're going to go, and as soon as they see something, they see some toilet paper, they're going to buy it. Because they feel that if they don't buy that toilet paper now, they may not have their toilet paper later. So whenever they see the toilet paper, they're going to be like, well, this is going to be fucking mine because I need to get this now. And I think everything's just cascading and it's building on each other and it's nuts. <laughs> it's, it's okay. But it's like, absolutely here's the crazy. thing though, right? Is okay. You can, I guess you can make the argument for toilet paper because like, you know, that's not perishable, but there is even less of an excuse for people who live in Florida or anywhere in this area, by the way, to be buying like, you know, perishable items in bulk because mm-hmm. we are all used to prepping for hurricanes and you know not to stock up on things that you need to keep in a fridge. You so assume. There's, there's no excuse. You assume that we're used to stocking for hurricanes. You're giving the people of Florida a lot of credit. That's probably true. <laughs> I think you're. Uh, I think that idea of the cascade makes a lot of sense because it only needs a small, really, really dumb portion of the people to start the chain. Yes. Yeah. And then it yeah. gets. And then other people, they're not. They don't really think they need toilet paper to stock up, but they are afraid if I don't get some now, I won't get any ever when I do need it. Exactly. So I have to buy it as well. And then that, that just stacks. That makes a lot of sense because that, that would make sense because almost nobody thinks it's a good idea, yet all the toilet paper ran out. So how did that happen? I think that, that makes total sense. It might be a conspiracy from the toilet paper industry. They are. <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> oh, we could, we could go deep down the rabbit hole of all the fun, exciting exper- conspiracy theories. Look, this is what I think about conspiracy theories. If I was a screenwriter for Hollywood... I would be paying attention to all this shit, and that would be my movie in 10 years when everyone's forgot. I would just steal the conspiracy theories. They'd make great movies. It would be called Charmin. <laughs> Charmin, the Corona Conspiracy. 
My favorite is the uh, like the people who buy into um, like Trump is. I call it the Trump is Skywalker theory. I don't know what the real name is. Oh, I need to hear like, this. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's generally people who are. It's like Trump is Skywalker because this whole thing is. Trump playing 4D chess against the deep state and the Illuminati who are the child pedophile interdimensional band, vampire Alex Jones type shit. Oh my god. But Ooh. Trump is like it's the Q, have you guys heard QAnon? People making fun of QAnon? And they should. Yeah, it's like QAnon's ever morphing thing. Anyway, right now what it is, it's uh, and uh, Ellen got blasted because everyone thought Ellen was in prison and she had to talk about it on social media. Enough people believe this. It's that the coronavirus is just made up or it's staged, it's not really that bad, because this is all a front where Trump and the FBI and international agencies are making mass arrests across famous people, political leaders, people in power, Saudi oil, and they're saying, like, all these celebrities are going to, because when Tom Hanks got it, they're like, Tom Hanks is the first one, a bunch of other celebrities are going to, quote, get the coronavirus and disappear, it's because they're being round up by Trump, and they're all part of this giant sex trafficking ring, tra- trafficking ring which goes back to, like, Pizzagate, it's this whole thing. I think I think the real conspiracy is QAnon is like a group of trolls yes. that just keep feeding this thing and making a bunch of fucking money. That's what's going hey, on. Hey, don't fuck with the God Emperor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's it's just only a matter of time before the lizard people rose up to power. <laughs> it just blows me away that like even my wife, who has like a very sort of tame social network she has friends who are posting these conspiracy theories and i think it goes back to what you're saying about the cascading effects of fear and panic i think people who normally wouldn't even bother listening to that are now open to like crazy ideas because of i don't know just people are on edge they're scared they want to feel like something's going on oh this is all not a big deal actually trump is catching all the child sex traffickers that's, that feels better than being scared. Maybe that's what's going on. <laughs> shit, I don't know. Shit, shit, I shit. guess that's true. Some crazy shit, man. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. And I mean, I, there is, I think there's some legitimacy to the whole like cascading theory that Chris was talking about because even, even me, like I caught myself the other day looking at my cupboard and being like, yo, do I have enough toilet paper? Like maybe I should get some more toilet paper. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it happens. Like, I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm fine for right now. Thank you. But, you know. Well, let's uh, let's chat. I want to know about so. Generally, what I do is I talk to people just about the games they played growing up, and which ones impacted them. And uh, looks like we lost. Yeah. He'll come back. Yeah, it's fine. Still He'll come back. Still He'll live. He'll be He'll fine. He'll come back. Oh, what? Uh, so you grew up? You said in Maine, on. right? Yeah, yeah. If you don't mind me asking, when? What year were you born? Uh, Nineteen eighty-six. Eighty-six. Mm-hmm. So my guess, my guess is your f- first console was an NES. Uh, that is actually not true. Damn. But, but, but close. What is it? Uh, so <laughs> we, uh, so actually we, we had talked about this on one of our episodes before too. Um, weirdly enough, my first console was a Sega master system. Oh, so you had the, yeah, the master system came before the Genesis, right? Yeah, that's correct. Nice. So that came out, did that come out, master system come out before NES? Yeah, well? yeah, it did. It did. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, nice. that that was the first one that I had. Um, I, I but then of course I never actually got a Genesis. Uh, I went from that to an NES. So you were you were pretty close. But um, what uh on 
Oh, sorry. What on what on Master System do you remember playing? Uh, I had a very limited selection of games, actually. Um, but I uh, I do recall, <clears throat> and Chris might be able to help me out with this one because I could never remember the name, but he he totally got it for me. Um, okay. There was a what is it? Gangsters Alley? Is that what it's called? Is that a light gun game? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gangster Town. Gangster Town. There we go. Yeah. So I so I obviously I had a light gun accessory with it, and um, Gangster Town was one of the ones that I played a lot. Um, I also. Oh, this looks dope. Oh, you you looking that up right now? Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking it up. This is. Yeah, it's like a. Wow, I've never heard of it. I love when people bring up games. Oh, it even has like that Outrun. You know the games, the racing games like Outrun, where it's flat and they just. Bring things towards you mm-hmm. has a section of like a car you're shooting the cars yes yeah this is cool yeah yeah it was it was a lot of fun um most of my memories are from that one and um i think i i also had the rocky like licensed boxing game for the master system which was hard as shit by the way like i don't game. think i ever got past like the second guy and yeah it's objectively bad i'm checking i didn't uh this is also interesting because i this is like pre-punch out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is not good. Uh but, you know, given that I think I owned maybe 3 or 4 cartridges for that system at the time, that's it's pretty much all I had to that's go on. So. The light gun games for the Master System were absolutely fantastic. Everything other than the light gun games, it's mostly like a B minus. Really? I do I don't know a ton about the I saw one I had one neighbor kid that had a master system and it was a game maybe you'll remember it cuz it sounds like you know a lot. It's a it's like a robot on tracks. It's like a Wall-E type robot and you run around and jump. It's like a platformer. I remember that being on a master system and that's all I knew about the master system. So um and what year were by I asked him while you were uh, cut off. What year were you born? Uh 1985. Oh. Okay, so you're same, yeah. So that's I guess that his first system was NES because of the he was eighty six, right, or eighty four, eighty six, yeah, eighty six, and you were eighty five. Mm-hmm. But you were, so you were in Maine. Where were you again growing up? Uh, outside Chicago, Chicago. That's what it was. What was your first system? Uh, the NES. NES. Yeah. Okay, I got it in what I recall as Christmas of nineteen eighty nine. I'm just going to stick with that because I saw the release of some of these games and it doesn't quite fit, but it does because no one's yeah. stuck to release date. So it's, who knows? So Christmas of 1989, got my NES. And the only reason I remember that is I specifically remember getting Double Dragon 2 as a game to go with it. And I thought it was a cassette tape. Because, of course, when you're four years old, all you think about is, oh, movies. And (laughs) it looked like a cartoon. I thought I'd be interested in it. My dad said, no, that's a video game. So, and that's that's, kind of where I'm thinking it's 89, because... We moved into a different house in 1990, and I we had that Christmas in my old house. I know I'm kind of going into the weeds with this shit, but uh, so that was my no, first. Tell us more, Grandpa. Yeah, uh, but that that was really my first uh, first experience was the NES and having Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt because it was the deluxe set because of course it was. Yep. And Double yep. Dragon Two. So those were really the three games that I really started out with. And had a blast with it. Uh, more specifically, I remember playing, you know, Mario and Double Dragon more than Duck Hunt. But I think that really goes for everyone who had Mario Duck Hunt. You you kind of play Duck Hunt for a couple minutes and then, oh, this is fun. The fuck you, dog. And I'm going to go play Mario. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. And once you, for me, once I had the same deluxe, the double whammy on NES, it's like once I figured I could just 
point like touch the light gun on the screen <laughs> and just like click it. It was super. I'm like, this game's boring. But yeah, I played. I played way more, way more Mario. Shane, so you got a you had a Master System. You had a few games. Then you got the NES. What were the games that stood out to you when you first got it? Well, I mean, with the exception of the the, the Mario Duck Hunt combo, of course. Um, I uh, probably Metroid. Uh, yeah. And so, actually, I still have it. I, I was digging through some of my stuff uh, lately because, you know, with the, the self-imposed quarantine and everything, I've had some time to do some cleaning. And uh, I came across the uh, official Nintendo Player's Guide um, that has, like, info on something like 90 NES games. And um, I had that back then. And, um, that was super helpful by the way, playing Metroid, because if you didn't have like some sort of way of, you know, mapping where you were going, it's, um, you can get lost pretty easily. So, uh, oh, yeah. so there's that Especially one when you're, when you're like nine, yeah, five, six, something like that, whatever you were. Yeah. I, uh, I, I do not recall getting very far in that game when I was a kid <laughs> for the record. Um, but the other one, um, was life force because just how striking the, the art in it was, it was just so like, so Giger esque and weird that, um, I think that's like burned into my memory now. Also a really hard, uh, shoot em up. Yeah. It's like a Gradius, like side scroller bullet hell. Yep. Shooter. Yeah. This is, it reminds me, there's an NES game where it was the, um, it was similar art style, like sci-fi and aliens, but it was a top-down shooter, mm -hmm. uh, a bullet hell, and then you could get out of the ship in certain segments and like play a, like play a, I don't know, like an astronaut or something. And I can never remember. I brought it up in a couple of podcasts, and no one can ever remember it. And I don't know like what to search for. Huh. Yeah, I, I vaguely uh, remember what you're talking about, but now I can't remember what it was called. Can, can you describe it again? I'm sorry, like my dogs like scratching at the door and everything like that. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's like it's a the cover art had like a crazy alien with tentacles, like a face with tentacles, huh. almost like a System Shock two, or whatever that that the main antagonist is. I forget the AI's name. Huh. Yeah, kind of like that, but it was more. Um, and then the the gameplay was a top down bullet hell, like like right in or nineteen forty two. And then, but there's certain points you could get out of your ship, and then it was a side scroller. Oh, the Guardian Legend. Is that what it is? Let me check it. Out. I hope you're right. The mystery may have been solved. It's a Broderbun game. Sorry, YouTube's making me watch a ad. Ad. Damn you, YouTube. This is a channel called SNES Drunk. I love the name it's of that channel. Again. <laughs> yeah, this is it. A hundred percent. Bam. You nailed it. Plus 10 internets for you. Sweet. Hell yeah. This is it. I could never, I brought this up on multiple uh, podcasts and no one knows it. Yeah. There's the artwork with the, the Shogun system shock too. Look, this game was awesome. I liked sci-fi as a kid. And so this was one of my, one of my NES favorites. What are other NES games you guys? Uh, oh, Chris, I'll let you take a few if you want, unless he died. Did you die? He might've died again. Got some yeah. internet problems. This, this, this always happens. His, he, I'll forgive him though because he remembered Guardian Legend. That, that's true. He gets a free pass, I guess. Um, so yeah. yeah. So let's see. Life Force was definitely a big one um, for the listeners out there. By the way, if you never played Life Force, go at least take a look at the um, like the artwork for some of the bosses in particular. It is some like gnarly shit, um, which is super cool. It's very like body horror too. It's it's kind of like John Carpenter's The Thing. Which is crazy. Yeah, um, I'm watching some some footage now. It's very like, yeah, uh, 
like gore almost yeah yeah it's like so and it's i mean i don't know maybe this speaks to my personality on some level too but like i i i I was super into that one and then um i'm jumping ahead a little bit but it was related one of my favorite super nintendo games of all time is contra 3 the alien wars and um the artwork in that game is also very similar to that as well um welcome back i think Chris. i remember alien wars oh yeah i'm looking at a, a couple of the bosses i can see what you mean oh, so yeah. Was, yeah so my internet shit itself again i haven't had these problems in like a year mm-hmm. to be honest yeah that's but, that's typical <laughs> yeah uh, was i right was it the guardian legend it was you were right okay. and we give you a free pass because i was super stoked you remembered it that's a that's a game i have tried to remember a bunch of times and could never because like you i would google stuff like nes shooter plus side scroll i was trying to f- i could never find it so i appreciate that absolutely yeah it's a great game i love that game what are some other nes games you remember playing yeah chris now that you're back why don't you uh talk a little bit about yours oh god um i, I think the thing that sticks most out to me so first of all i'm going to do a funny one because this I-, I was trying to think about this you know coming into this episode knowing how you kind of do your formats and it's like what games do i remember from from the nes because most of it blends in with mostly sega and snes just when i got my NES, which was an 89, which is only two years before. And it's like, I think it was the Sesame Street ABC 123 game. And I. <laughs> oh, is that the one where you have like, the, there's a pipe mini game where you have to yes. like move the pipes to connect water? Yes, and you have to make sure it gets to the end. And you could. It, it, you can do it like simply and straight and just get from A to B, or you can just make this crazy concoction of just going, just making just absolute bullshit in order to fil- uh, finish the level. <laughs> and that's, I think that's, that was my favorite game was the pipe game. I don't even remember the other ones. I just remember the fucking pipe game. I think that was Bernie in a bath, uh, Ernie in a bath or something like that. Yes. It was. Yeah. 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 I know exactly what you're talking. Wow. I would have never remembered that, but it's weird how memory works. Mm-hmm. As soon as you uh, said that, like a little piece of RAM in my brain opened up and I was like, Oh, I didn't know that memory was there. I totally remember that game. I, I don't know why we had it. <laughs> I have no idea why we had it. Cause I think it was well beyond Sesame street at the time. Uh, the other games I got was the, uh, Donkey Kong classics, uh, mm. cart, which had Donkey Kong oh. and Donkey Kong jr. And back then I played a lot more of Donkey Kong jr. And then of course there was the original final fantasy, which, uh, once I got, I think I never played, anything but rpgs after that with the occasional platformer uh, so now we're getting into why i stalked you guys and, <laughs> and wanted to bring you on because i am a jrpg like it's it's bad like i i had to i just got i went deep into the jrpg world and i had to uh sort of like tone it back to be a functional human being that's I, I love right. the jrpgs what i'm what i'm surprised with is did you you could only have been like maybe seven or eight. I definitely didn't get Final Fantasy. I played Final Fantasy on the NES retroactively, mm-hmm. but at the, but at that age, I don't think it would have would have caught me. But it sounds like it sucked you in even at that age. Oh, absolutely. So I, I got into Final Fantasy a little bit after the Super Nintendo was released. I was about seven or eight years old. And the reason I got okay, and the reason still that's yeah. pretty young for that game. Yeah, I'm even amazed looking back at it. Like my. I, I don't see seven or eight-year-olds getting into that stuff, and I you certainly look back then, of course, that really wasn't the case. But um, the thing that and that really enticed me is every day after school, we had a house-sitter, uh, well, kind of like just after-school daycare. And, you know, a lot of cool video games were over there that was introduced to TurboGrafx-16 uh, and Final Fantasy, because they had Final Fantasy. And every single day we'd go over there, and I would have just, Oh shit! 
<laughs> it was just getting good. Ah, uh, see, this this is what happens. So Chris Chris has uh. been Chris has been a weeb for a long time. Is what he's trying to get at. Also, in one of our previous episodes. <laughs> I, I totally gave him a bunch of shit for like his bourgeoisie uh, like daycare center because I was just like y'all had a Nintendo like we just watched Barney like VHS tapes like what the hell that's a fair point my daycare's never had Nintendo right that's damn straight that's what I'm saying yeah 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 look, look, every time he cuts off let's just shit on him while he's gone. <laughs> I mean that's what I usually do so back. you know and he, do- he he's told me he doesn't go back and listen to our episodes after so I can do whatever I want. It's great. I don't listen to him either. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you? So it sounds like I'm getting the gist that like is he the one that you said does the the content, the collector content on the Instagram? Yeah, yeah. The vast majority of that stuff is from his collection. He's the he's the big collector of the two of us. Um, I, I, I obviously I uh, you know I love my retro games and everything. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing the podcast. But I just. Uh, I'm I'm just not into having a lot of physical stuff to move around. Me too. Yeah. Me too. He uh I could definitely tell I knew one of you was like a a super collector nerd and JRPG nerd based on the content. That's obviously him. And he's uh he's got a great memory too, like coming up with uh Guardian Legends. Hey, oh, he's yeah. back. Jesus Christ, I don't know what's going on. Like I got into it's a the full lizard description. people. They don't want you to talk about Final Fantasy. That's they don't want me to talk about it. Final Fantasy. Fuck fuck yeah. Final Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying, I uh, uh, I could tell that one of you was a uh, a deep JRPG nerd, and now I know now the mystery has been lifted. It's you, mm-hmm. yes. It's uh, I it's crazy that you got into it that that uh that young. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's where you were. Then you started going off, and I don't really know where you cut off, but it was right after me bringing up. I'm surprised you got into it at such a young age. Yeah, yeah. I, I have the whole entire description. It's going to be on the file. I'm going to send you. <laughs> because i didn't even know i was off the internet i went out this rant for like you know 30 seconds i'm like fuck me man the fucking internet I, i'll be able to uh I'll, I'll just splice it in i'll make it work it's not a big uh, deal. Uh, don't worry about uh, it a bottom line up front or too long don't read uh after school care enjoyed making parties never made it further than half the game but just completely liked rebooting it and just rebuilding a party over and over and over again. yeah uh that makes a little that makes a little bit more sense i do remember tinkering with it like what happens if i do mm-hmm. all black mages or all fighters and like it never worked but i, I remember tinkering with that it wasn't until uh i hate to say this because for for claiming a jrp uh jrpg nerd background it's a little cliche that the first jrpg that got me is final fantasy 7 i knew mm. it that's the truth i knew you were gonna say that and i hated people like you <laughs> uh, hey to be Bunch fair of fucking posers fair, i didn't have a I didn't have a super nintendo right so i didn't get ex- and i had genesis but fantasy star was like just i don't know didn't it wasn't a big it wasn't a big enticer it wasn't and even the super nintendo and this is this kind of goes into why I hated people who loved Final Fantasy. And uh, if you're listening to this, we'll have a Final Fantasy VII episode coming up soon. So you better listen to that too. Ooh, um, we do. Yes. That'll be good. I'm probably going to repeat a lot of this. Is I was into like Final Fantasy our JRPG scene before Final Fantasy VII came out. So like big into Final Fantasy VI, uh, big into Final Fantasy, well Final Fantasy III, uh, Final Fantasy II, of course. For you know, I was getting into like the Lufias. And, you know, the the JRPG experience, I was really getting into these things. And then Final Fantasy VII came out, and everyone was like, isn't this the greatest game ever? I was like, well, I mean, I, I think Chrono Trigger might be a better game. 
They're like, no, no, you're an idiot. I agree. You're a fucking idiot. Look, look at how beautiful yeah. this game is. Look how but great cloud, the cinematics are, Chris. Yeah, but look cloud. at the Buster Sword. <laughs> look how big his sword hey. is, Chris. <laughs> and look at that spiky hair. Yeah, Sephiroth is best husbando. Okay. <laughs> and I'd be like, well, how do you think it compares to Final Fantasy three? And they'd be like, Final, what, what's that for? I never heard of it. And then I just like, I get I, it. I'd want to just. This is why I have resentment towards Final Fantasy VII. It's not that I think it's a bad game. It's just the the atmosphere that came with it when it launched. Yes, we were getting a yes. lot more fans in the JRPG uh, genre, which enabled us to get a lot more games from Japan, which we weren't getting before. But Correct. it just felt like no one gave a shit about the games that enabled it to get there and, and build it. And when you try bringing these games at the time, now, you know, 20 hindsight being 2020 people getting back into more retro games. But at the time there was a, there was almost a disdain for anyone who liked anything other than final fantasy seven. Hmm. I don't remember. I mean, it definitely was got me into it. I bought a super Nintendo after to get all the, like, I'm like, Oh, these are dope. Apparently super Nintendo has all the, has all the goods. I had a friend that had a super Nintendo, so I, I retroactively, like, right after went and I went through everything, and Chrono Trigger is definitely, I think, a better game. And I also developed that same resentment later, because the PS1 also, which was, like, my main console, was a great JRPG console. And I would have that same thing, like, yeah, Final Fantasy VII is cool, but there's a lot of other really cool games, too, that I think are better. So... You are definitely more OG than me, but for the record, I did go back and buy SNES and played all of those games. And I was, I bought Beyond the Beyond, which was the first JRPG on PS1 launch day. I was waiting for that, like, because I knew a JRPG was going to come to the PS1 eventually. And uh, that's and that's what really actually. So my times all fucked up. There's no way because Final Fantasy VII came out after that, so that couldn't have been my first exposure to a JRPG because I did get Beyond the Beyond launch and that was that came out before Final Fantasy 7 so my memory's off well clearly it's just it's the only one that mattered that's, <laughs> that's, that's what that's what it is obviously I mean it's you know Chris just needs to admit that he's a weeb hipster and that's okay you know he's just like I liked JRPGs before they were cool I okay, get it well oh shit we just he's so angry that he left yeah he just so he rage he quit the episode that's probably it probably won't be the last time but so i feel like i need to put my input on this too so i came to the whole jrpg thing like way later um my, my experience was actually more with western rpgs um i i'm super into rpgs as well and i have been for quite a long time but i didn't come at it from from that vector like during that time with like the nes things like that we were talking about my stuff was way more into um just like adventure games or like platformers like i don't know if y'all remember like little nemo dream master like that was one yes i played quite a bit little nemo was the shit yeah man and and i never actually owned it for the record uh, a buddy of mine had it for his nes and i just made excuses to go over to his house a lot but <laughs> um but so there's like that one and you know um i tried playing things like ninja gaiden and i was terrible at it because it's hard as hell and uh ghosts and goblins like that kind of stuff so i was way more into platformers at that time but um jumping like ahead a little bit into the the history of of the gaming um like I said, like Western RPGs were my jam for quite a while, and I guess kind of still are to a certain degree. 
between Chris and I, I, I was much more of the uh, the PC gamer. So like in the mm, mid nineties or so, that's that's when I we got our first like home PC, and uh, I, I fell into a lot of that pretty hard. So, Chris, are you back? That's uh, I'm glad you. I'm glad. Yeah, he's back. I'm glad Great. you brought that up, Shane, because one of the things like the theories or things I've talked about with guests in the past is your taste in gaming, especially if you're born in 85, that, that age between, I don't know, like 10 to 18. Yeah. If you had a PC versus you had a console and there's like very like kind of clear correlations, like, and that makes total sense that you came into RPGs to Western RPGs. Cause you started on PC and came all the way around after doing, like, it sounds like you probably did like oblivion and Skyrim and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And even before that, I mean, my, my first introduction into that kind of realm of PC gaming was, um, a lot of blizzard games actually. Um, so I yep, like Diablo. Diablo, I sunk. So I, I actually, I probably shouldn't speak in the past tense because I still have the original Diablo <laughs> on my machine right now um, that I have a character for. But uh, yeah, I sunk so many hours into Diablo and then of course D2 and like Lord of Destruction. Like actually, I, I like telling this story because Diablo 2 was the reason that my parents actually ended up putting like a time limit on my like PC time at home. Because uh, I would come home from that. school, tr- yeah, BattleNet man. I would drop my backpack at the computer, fire up Battle.net, play D two until dinner, go to dinner, eat, and then come back, play more D two until I had to go to bed. And somewhere in there, probably did homework, but that lasted for a little while. And then my parents were just like, "Okay, no, this is insane, and we need to stop this." So. uh yeah, but so there's a lot of Diablo, but also a lot of like, you know, the older CRPGs like um, uh, Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights and like Icewind Dale, stuff like that. I was really yes, into Icewind those. Icewind Dale was. Icewind Dale was one I would see. I had a homie that had a PC. His dad was a programmer and he always had dope PCs. Mm. And I remember Icewind Dale, like the, the, the art style, like that kind of Donkey Kong esque, like they. Like the pre render like they pre render stuff on a computer and then they turn it into sprites and then they feed the sprites to the engine. Yeah. The yeah, backgrounds yeah. are all pre rendered. I that was my first introduction to pre rendered stuff was Ice Window. And I remember thinking, How is this even possible? How can this look so cool? Oh yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Good good shit. Yeah, was, even I was into that that kind of RPG, even being a console RPG shit. Like the, the PC RPG starting with Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, Neverwinter Nights, they're all they were all really fucking cool. So you had the console and the PC growing up? Well, just like you said, my my dad was big into... He was a programmer, too. I won't say big into. He is a programmer. Uh. So, you know, we would always get the dope PCs in our room, too. I, start, I remember having an Apple an Apple PC. I don't remember what, what it was. But, you know, my sister got an Apple, Apple II LC. And then I ended up getting an Apple computer that also had Windows installed on it. Like, when it was Windows, what, 3.1? 3.2? 3.1. And yeah, it never worked right because I remember trying to install a freeware version of Descent on it and just said "fuck <laughs> you." But um, like I remember playing Mist and when, Ooh, when it first came yeah. out, another great pre-rendered type game that was beautiful. The, yeah, yeah, still is beautiful. But I didn't get it and I hated it <laughs> because I was what like seven <laughs> years old. I'm like, what the fuck yeah. is this? <laughs> I mean, it's Point cool click puzzles. Yeah. But eventually, yeah, I, I would continue to get PCs because that was my dad's that 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 was his passion. So I began to yeah. gateways, and uh, 
end up getting, you know, the Baldur's Gates and the uh, Neverwinter Nights of the world, and especially, like Shane said, the Blizzard games, uh, particularly Warcraft 2. That was my poison for a very, very long time. And I loved it. And uh, so just because I played on console, I still prefer console uh, to this day, and I'll always prefer console. But those PC games, man, they were rocking. They were definitely rocking. They were. That, that's a good era for PC games. That's. I also would uh, got. That's what got me into RTS. My friend's computer. He had a uh, yeah. Command and Conquer. First time I saw Command and Conquer. I had played Warcraft One and Warcraft Two. Heroes of Might and Magic is kind of not RTS. A little bit different. Yeah, I love that but, game. Uh, it's turn based. Turn based. That game is. Yeah, turn based. Like I loved how you could like stack the characters, and then the number below was how many of those troops you had, mm-hmm. and the bigger. And that was like building your fortress. That was cool. But when I saw Command and Conquer, and I could, and the, it seemed like at the time there was no limit to how many units you could select. <laughs> Whereas in like Warcraft and Warcraft Two, you'd have these limits. And Command and Conquer, there's like hundreds of soldiers and fire. And I was, again, like the PCs, I was jealous of my friend. He had a that his dad was a programmer because the PC games were definitely cooler. But I'd only get to play them, you know, once a week, maybe if I was lucky. Oh yeah, man! Command and Conquer was actually the first RTS I ever played, and. um those those full motion video clips are probably looking back on them now are cheesy as hell. But I always remember Kane as being just like this badass, like bald guy. But oh, the um, cheese, the cheese is what makes it worth it, man. It's like you can't have a club yes. sandwich oh, without yeah. the cheese. <laughs> well, it's like it's like uh, Wing Commander too, like the FMV in that game. Also, the Wing Commander, yeah, very similar. Yeah, but that full motion video that had Mark Hamill. That, that did. did it. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, Mark Hamill is a national. I didn't treasure. know that. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, actually, we're going to be talking about Command and Conquer in one of our upcoming episodes because the remaster collection is going to be coming out. It's coming. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited for that. Did you get your limited? I want to ask you, copy, Shane. <laughs> that dude, no, that that's your realm, man. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it's your realm. Yeah. It is. Hey, I wanted to come back to you, Chris, on uh, some JR. So. You're playing these PC games. You're playing the JRPGs. I know you said you had some resentment. Yeah. I, I was trying to defend myself. I don't know where, where we got cut off, but I was trying to defend myself so you wouldn't think I'm a total loser. I don't. <laughs> I yeah. did. And I actually – I realized my, my memory is wrong uh-huh. because I thought Final Fantasy VII was what got me into JRPGs. I remember it being a big deal. Uh-huh. But then as we were talking, I remembered I got Beyond the Beyond like the day it came out and I was waiting for it and that came out before Final Fantasy 7 I think it was my but Final Fantasy 7 was definitely a, like I, I have a very strong memory we came back from boating I had a friend that had a boat and final, my pre-order was at GameStop and my mom wouldn't take me to go pick GameStop up and I agreed I like legitimately got in tears like begged her to take me to GameStop for Beyond so, the Beyond? Anyway, no 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 for, for Final Fantasy 7 oh so I, I was into JRPGs, but I think Final Fantasy VII is just the one that came up initially because that was a big deal for me. Right. But I did play a few before Final Fantasy VII. Okay. And yeah. then I went retroactively back. I bought a SNES. I played Chrono Trigger. I played all the other Final Fantasies. Uh, Legend of Mana, Secret of Mana. I played everything I could mm-hmm. on Super Nintendo once I got into it. But I did come to it later. So you're the true OG. I want to ask the true OG. Uh-huh. Just so I can maybe judge you. Okay, go for it. <laughs> what is your What is your favorite JRPG and what is your favorite Final Fantasy Final Fantasy game? Ooh, favorite JRPG has got to be uh, Chrono Trigger. That is definitely my. That's pretty good. My favorite JRPG. That's my number two. Um, just because it, it's the ultimate 
fan project. It's it's fucking Toriyama and the Final Fantasy team and the NX team. You can't get much better than that. Um, the- and just the nostalgia, I think. Are Have the better games come out since then? Yeah, sure. But maybe. Maybe. I'll say maybe. 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 The soundtrack is, is bar none one of the best soundtracks. Uh, second best on the SNES. Second best on the SNES. Who do you think's first best on the SNES? For soundtrack? For soundtrack, yeah. Oh, Final Fantasy VI by far. You like six more? The soundtrack? The soundtrack? Yeah. Oh, by a lot. It's not mm. even close. Really? Yes. Okay. No hesitation. I, get, I mean, six is good. Zero hesitation. But I, I put out a, I put out a remix album of Chrono Triggers. That's like that's my favorite soundtrack, my maybe of all time. But oh, it's not okay. bad. It's not bad. <laughs> well, this is it's personal now. Okay, <laughs> it's great. Um, uh, my favorite Final Fantasy is four. Is which one? I couldn't hear you. Uh, four. Four. Why? Uh, why? Oh, it just it's. So that one's interesting. Uh, am I still here? I'm just want to make sure. <laughs> Yeah, you're still okay. Yes. Good. I have to make sure right now. So, um, yeah. So, Final Fantasy IV, like for a long time, I sat on it and I said six. Like six is the best. Six is my favorite. Six is the best one ever. There's a long time I said six was my the best game of all time. I've greatly come back on that. Uh, but since like I've gone back and I've played Final Fantasy IV, and I, I think I, it's because I like the simplicity of it. It's not too complex. It's it's linear without being overly linear. In, in the sense that yeah. 10 and 13 are, and it's not overly complicated like you see in everything after Final Fantasy VI, really, when you think about it. Um, it's a nice, simple plot line. Uh, so I'm not sitting here and I'm not saying, hey, look, is it the most complicated or, or most well-designed or or best Final Fantasy, technically speaking, ever created? I would say no, but it just hits all the right notes with me. It makes me extremely happy yeah. to play. It gives me that warm, fuzzy feeling of uh, just makes me feel good. And there, there is conflict. Like when you say, oh, Aerith died, and that's so sad. Going back to Final Fantasy VII, me hating them, uh, the people that loved it. Uh, like, oh, no one's ever died in a, in a game like this before. I'm like, okay, granted, they didn't die, but obviously you weren't there for Palam and Porum turning themselves in the stone. You weren't there when Tella died. You weren't there uh, for uh, a lot of those things spoilers, that happened before. Excuse me. Uh, it, it, okay, fuck them. <laughs> They'll live. But like, they're they're all still there, and I, I like especially the Palamon Forum thing. Now that you have kids, and you and uh, I have kids, like that scene hits me harder and harder every single time I watch it in Final Fantasy IV. And I just realized how yeah. early it was and how good of a game it was at the time. And for the time, yeah, for, yeah, it's still good. Uh, but I would say probably the best Final Fantasy. My second favorite Final Fantasy is ten. No, <laughs> no, no. So I have one of my uh, really good friends. He's uh he does like his job is he does like fan art for games and shit, and makes a bunch of money. Mm. He was on an episode and he's loves Final Fantasy ten. It's his favorite. Yeah, and it's one of my least favorite. And we argue about ten endlessly. And so at first, when you didn't say 10, I was like, Phew. but then you said it as your second favorite. Yeah. And now I have to just throw into question every word that's come out of your mouth. <laughs> because <laughs> 10 is a hot... Okay, now I'll say this. this the soundtrack to 10, I think 2 Xanarkin is one of the best single Final Fantasy songs. I learned to play it on the piano. I love that song. Uh-huh. But o- overall, I I just felt like I bought 10. I was super excited for it. I remember going, getting it day of, Toys R Us. And uh, just, I beat it. I played it. I obviously beat it. But when it ended, I just, I just felt like it was a hot, steaming pile of garbage. I loved <laughs> the lore and the idea. Have you played Final Fantasy I, 12? 12. I love 12. Ugh. 
Okay. <laughs> I love any Ivalice. So my my uh. my favorite final. My favorite Final Fantasy is Tactics. Yes! I like Ivalice. I yes! can agree. Yeah. I am yeah, I vindicated. It. It's such a good game. It's no, such no, a good game. no. Chris, fuck you, because I brought this up <laughs> earlier. We okay. were talking about what our favorite like Final Fantasy games were in another episode, and I was like, you know what? Like, I, I agreed that I think 4 and probably maybe 9 is a close second for me now. Uh-huh. But like, Nine's but good. FF yeah. Tactics... Uh, was from all of the Final Fantasy, like Pantheon, in my opinion, Tactics, I think is the best. It's the best. It's the best. Yeah. You just can't get better. And and Chris disagreed with me. Now he's trying to pretend like that didn't happen. I don't think it's... I, I, I still I prefer there. 4. I still prefer 4 and 10, prefer, but Tactics is yeah, amazing. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and say Tactics is not amazing. It's a great now here's, here's Now here's the catch with this one, though. And this is where my opinion might actually be the unpopular one. So, hmm. uh, I will also make the argument that I personally prefer Final Fantasy Tactics Advance over the original. Oh. No. Yeah, see? Yeah. Mm, I'm, not, I'm not with you on that one. I mean, as far as preference, it's a good game. It just... Yeah. And I beat it, but uh, I don't know. Maybe it's because I had already... Like, my mind was already blown by Tactics in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so part of the reason why Tactics was, like, so, I don't know, such a big deal to me is it was, to me, it was, like, totally different. And, it, like, the vibe in the world and the lore and mixing in religion and, like, the, the mystical with the religion and the, and the politics heavy. Right. Aside from just, like, from, like, tweeny 13, 14-year-old boy emo kid saves the world. Like, <laughs> I just, that was already so fresh to me. That by the time Advance came out, I wasn't as like surprised. It was just more of the same. Yeah, that's. But maybe that's I, I think you yeah. could make the argument. It's a like it's a more refined and polished game. I w- I would agree I with that. Yeah, I also think oh, that just yeah. from Terrible my translation. own translation. Well, yeah, but from from my the reason that I the reason I prefer it is because I came at it from the other direction where, um, uh, FF. TA, I guess you want to call it, was my actually my first one. And then I went back and played the original tactics after. Ah, so I sunk like a sense. bananas amount of time into the advanced version. So that's that's why I think that's my personal preference. That makes sense. Yeah, I uh, I don't like 10. I mean, I, I beat it. I beat all of them. I, so I like all of them enough to play them. Even eight? Um, actually, I didn't. I beat yeah eight dude. Yeah. <laughs> I think ten. I think ten is garbage. I think eight is amazing. Wow. I think twelve is amazing. And uh, thirteen and thirteen two, meh, not really into them. Fifteen, really torn. I was really really torn with fifteen because I followed all. I just followed that game from versus thirteen until it became fifteen and all the changes and reading forms on NeoGaf and it was like glad to see it happen and parts of it i loved and parts of it i was like i'm just i'm 50 50 on 15 the second um, half of that game is awful yes once you get to the train chapter yeah. 13 whatever which is a, a similar thing xenogears is one of my favorite jrpgs mm-hmm. but disc four has a similar issue they ran out of time and money disc two and disc four is it disc two yeah there's only two discs there's only two discs you're probably i'm gonna default to you you have a really good memory so yeah <laughs> disc two but i just remember like once you get to the end of the game it's just like cutscene battle cutscene battle it kind of just. Other than that, Xenogears might be one of my my fav- like higher on my list, uh, but but because of disc two. See the the issue with the issues with like FF fifteen or why I will say that I always I always tell people if they ask about that that I would just recommend playing the the pocket edition of that game because it's actually surprisingly ah. good. 
and it kind of distills this, this the game down to just like the essential parts of the story and cuts out a lot of garbage. And most of the story of that game is garbage. Yeah, well, yeah. I liked when I beat it. Yeah, it's garbage. But when I read the lore behind Arden and then when episode Arden came out and I just read about it, um, I really liked a lot of the ideas in the lore, but it just was so terribly executed that it came out as a jumbled. I did get a little emotional at the end when Noctis comes back to life, like whatever, 10, 13 years later, he's got a scrubby beard (laughs) and you're going into the, whatever the city is, Luminous, and you know that Noctis is going to die and they all know that he's going to die and they're having their last, their last campfire moment before they go. Uh I did get, I'm like, okay, that, that did strike a chord with me, but that's probably the only part in the entire 80 hour experience that I felt anything. I was so turned off by that point. I didn't even care. I, I think he didn't care. Like yeah. he woke up and it was like 13 years later, and everyone was just like, "Oh, you're back!" So, hey, welcome back, man. <laughs> I'm like, "What the fuck is going on?" I, I I was so pissed off by the reaction after all that time. I'm like, "That's not how things would happen. That is not at all." Yeah, how things would. It's a fair point. It's like this is stupid. This is just really. I, and I I know like they changed part of the game, and I figured out what it was later as I looked it up. But going into it, I knew they changed something. I didn't know what it was, so I thought, oh, did they change this entire last chapter of the game just to make sense or something? I don't know. And found out, no, it wasn't. It was always this bad. And I was very, <laughs> very irritated. I'm like, ugh. The end. Shane knows. Yeah. He got my rapid-fire review, and he yelled at me for going off too long about how awful it was and how pissed off I was. I think it's an awful Final Fantasy. Overall, it's an awful Final Fantasy. I had some good moments, but it's pretty terrible. I, I agree with you there. I am surprised that you think eight and twelve are terrible. I don't. Twelve, twelve, twelve's a, uh, an acquired taste. I didn't like it. Um, and I know why I didn't like it because I didn't know all the mechanics. Was it the battle of the game. system? No, I, I didn't mind the battle system because uh, you can uh, curtail it to whatever you want it to be. I just yeah didn't know how to play it correctly because I guess you got to get items in your inventory in order to get items to get the better weapons. Yes. in your inventory. Yes, and if you don't know yes. that. You're going to be short on gold the entire game. You're going to be the, you're not going to yes. you're not going to be able to do as much damage or fight as efficiently as you should the entire game. And then there there are missions you're supposed to do that are just completely random and you don't get the you don't get the RNG to produce it and it can take you a long time to do the hunts. Uh and that yes. really irritated me. Uh so I put a lot of time into it. It's not awful. I recognize it's an acquired taste. Uh, it's just not my taste. Now, FF8, that's terrible. Uh, in fact, I, I put FF8 below, I put FF8 below FF2, not by a large margin, but I'd rather play Final Fantasy 2 than Final Fantasy 8. Wow. Okay. Well, first off, you're right about 12. My, 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 uh, memory's a little, um, rosy because I recently played the Zodiac Age remaster. I'm sure it's a lot Which better. fixes all of it. Yeah fixes all that like you can basically you can just unlock everything so you don't have to do that because the whole item to get items things is like an unnecessary extra step and a waste of time mm-hmm. um i they, they you can get rid of all of that and gold and unlock everything so it's like just more traditional level up get your skills and uh fast trap like there's a bunch of stuff fixed with that so um yeah i think you're right the last time i played it was the zodiac age so i had forgotten some of those pain points you mentioned eight just being garbage that's typical for a snob. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. That's, yeah. uh, everyone hates me for liking eight. Everybody hates me. I'm used to it. I don't think I don't Doesn't hate really you for me. liking it. I just think you have bad taste, but that's okay. Yes, yes, exactly. It's fine. I'm used to it. I think eight is a, uh, yeah. It's it's like 
Like most, I will, I will admit, most people think eight is terrible. And there's, so there's, there's something to when you're making something that's a commercial product too. By the way, the point is to be mass appeal enough to sell lots of copies. So part of the art is to appeal to as many people as possible. Uh-huh. And so eight is not, eight is not successful in that regard. And I don't place it high. But just like you were mentioning other games, personally, I actually I liked it more than seven when I played it. I right after I played seven. Um, a big when I was younger, some of the reasons were kind of lame. I hated the chibi characters in seven, and I liked <laughs> that the characters were more realistically proportioned in eight, and you could actually see them. They didn't like disappear into you and appear out. They'd actually follow you around. Um, I thought the idea of like gardens and seed was cool. I did have a problem with it the first time I played. I didn't understand the junctioning system, the GF system. That's the best. And that is the best part of the game. That is the best part. But I had a similar experience where I got really far into the game and I wasn't attaching uh, magic right. And so I would level up, but I wasn't actually, I couldn't do anything and I gave up. And then I came back and played it again when I was like much later, like 16 or 17 years old um, and played through the whole thing and loved it. So as first time around, I didn't actually like it. I I failed. I quit. Uh-huh. But then the second time around, I liked it so much that uh, I just ended up liking it. But it's I get it, and I understand why people don't like it. Like Squall is a there's just there's a lot. It's it's a terrible game that for whatever reason I liked. I I feel That's like Squall is just like they looked at FF seven and they were just like, how can we make more of an Edge Lord character? Let's see, <laughs> give him a gun sword and a leather jacket. Okay, we're getting somewhere now. My- and one of the reasons I, I hated 10, by the way, was I hated Lulu's or the Black Mage outfit with the belts. <laughs> too many belts. And uh, Squall's got uh, a belt problem, the too. The hot topic problem, so, yes. You're just not, you're you not about the hot topic problem. I, yeah. I just think if you have a game and the explanation for fans of the game, if someone doesn't like it and the base explanation, if you boil it all down, is you just don't know how to play it. It's probably a bad game. Oh, yeah. So like Kingdom Hearts. King, uh, <laughs> oh, are we going to get into Kingdom Hearts? I mean, we can because I love Kingdom Hearts and Chris doesn't. He fucking hates it. I'm pretty sure. And so I, don't, again, I love I bringing don't this up it. because I have there's listen, I'm going to go on record right now and say that nobody ever should have a legitimate reason to like Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> but no. but I do and I will defend it. This, this is the hill that I will die on. If you love Disney, you'd probably love Kingdom Hearts. I just find it very boring. I don't know. I it's 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 so obtuse in such a way that it's I don't know. I'm pretty sure that uh, I think it's Stockholm syndrome. I think that's why I like it, but I, I can't be sure. It might be. But. It is a very obtuse. I so I'm in the middle. I loved Kingdom Hearts one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't. There wasn't a such thing as platinuming back then. Right. But a completion. All the secrets. All the best weapons. All the secret bosses. Set you know fighting Sephiroth and the Colossus, whatever Underworld and two with the Hades Underworld challenges mm-hmm. did all that stuff. I didn't play any of the other random offshoot three sixty day and a half <laughs> dream drop distance sleep birth by sleep yes balls and whatever yeah, dream drop distance yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't play any of those but I would I would like keep up but when Kingdom Hearts three came out I pre ordered the like Ultimate Edition the metal case the collectors everything I played it like an hour and a half and I just felt so betrayed and like this is the shittiest game what? ever created. What? And so oh. I like have got I hate Kingdom Hearts now because I felt that obtuse game, like when I played it as a kid, that obtuseness I guess I could put up with. But as an adult, I don't have time for that shit. <laughs> and the dialogue was so bad. 
Anyway, I mean, so I, I can feel both. Of I you. mean, like I'm not going. Listen, I'm not going to disagree with you. the The dialogue traditionally has been horrible in pretty much every one of those games. But here, here's the thing, though: is like Kingdom Hearts, and I could talk about this for way too long. So someone's probably gonna have to stop me. But like the original Kingdom Hearts, the storyline was very straightforward up until about the last, like you know, maybe a couple hours of the game. But but by and large. Kingdom Hearts itself—it was digestible. It, it is. It's yeah. it's digestible, but it's a very self-contained story. That if they had never decided to try to expand upon that, it would have been mostly fine. It's not. It's only when you get into Kingdom Hearts two really is where suddenly everything goes off the fucking rails, and you start talking yep. about you know what the difference is between you know a, a heartless and a nobody and like Xehanort being able to I guess time travel and he's also and like how many Xehanorts are people and uh, yeah yeah uh, yeah <laughs> and so yeah that's when you start having to. To do like the you know getting red uh like lines and drawing things on a you know like a pegboard to try and figure out what the hell is happening uh in that story but uh, despite all of that i it's still actually one of my my favorites and i actually really enjoyed kingdom hearts 3 i thought it was it was beautiful first of all the game is gorgeous and um it was really fluid um, I thought the controls were great. I, I actually, that's the, to this day, not that I have a lot of them, honestly, but it is the only game that I have platinumed. So that, wow. that says something. You loved it. I, yeah. You really liked I, it. Man. I did actually yeah. quite a bit. I'd really say starting at the seventh generation though, of, of systems for Squaresoft, that that was very evident that that was their game plan, that you could never completely understand a game without looking up some sort of fucking fact or extended lore outside of the game itself. Yeah. Why do you think they did that? To sell guides. Sell guides. Sell, guides. sell additional <laughs> games. Yeah. It'll make money. I don't know why they did it with Final Fantasy 13. That made no sense. And same with, well, 15, they're trying to get you to see their stupid fucking movie. But they <sighs> have just been, they've been doing that over and over and over again ever since, like, the PS3. And it's just very irritating. I know you guys are going to have a Final Fantasy 7 episode come up, but I want to ask you, have you played the demo, and what are your thoughts on the remake so far? Mm, so, I have not yet, actually. I, I have it downloaded on my PS4, but I haven't had a chance to fire it up yet. Um, I'm actually... I, I I refused to play through the entirety of the original FF7, mostly for some of the reasons that Chris was mentioning a few minutes ago about how I feel like they made things just intentionally hard to find. So one of the things that irritates me the most on a personal level for video games are um, missable things. Like if there's something in a game where if you don't know it's there, you can never get it again in that playthrough. There have been times where I have stopped playing a game completely because of that shit. And so like, that's why that's part of the reason why I refuse to continue playing FF seven, but it's one of my fiance's favorite games. So I am totally content to just watch her play it. <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, I, I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but the feedback that I've seen from um, some of the, the folks that we know is that it's uh seems to be pretty, pretty decent actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris, you there? Wow. Uh-oh. Great timing, Chris. Awesome. Good lord. Great timing, Chris. Yeah. Well, I'll blab while he, we wait for him. I played it, and um, I was really – for all the reasons we kind of touched on, the the story and uh, Final Fantasy fifteen being a, a huge letdown, and other things about Square, Square Enix yeah. – 
that uh, I haven't liked. I was I was feeling like I'd rather them not even remake it if it's just going to be a a dumpster fire. Well, yeah, like don't don't tarnish it. Like because there's enough um, with the Tifa's Heaven mod on the PC, you can there's a uh, Nvidia or Google AI upscaling backgrounds you can download now so the backgrounds are in like 4k they look crisp mm-hmm. they're amazing you can replace all the characters all the models in battle outside of battle you can kind of do like a sort of remaster and i have that all set up on my pc yeah and i'm like halfway through it and it's it's a good way to play the game and all the confusion and lore it's not confusing anymore because i've been reading about final fantasy 7 lore and adventure for, so it's not confusing to me anymore when i play it right it's actually pretty enjoyable um, but then when I played the demo, uh, it was, it was like, it was an interesting experience because the, when the movie pans out and it has the music and has like the, sh- the recreation of the opening scene, but it's all way better, obviously now visually Oh yeah, and the, the sound, the soundtrack's better and the logo comes across and the theme hits. I legitimately, like uh, my eyes got watery, like it hit like a, it's like, okay, they've at least captured like the nostalgia enough where I'm having an emotional reaction. Yeah, yeah, no. Like they've they've nailed it at least in that way. And then when I played the demo, like it, I liked it a lot. It's like Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy's 15 battle system sort of mixed. Mm-hmm. It's a little more. It's almost. It feels almost like playing a a simple Devil May Cry action game. Yeah, and I know that that was makes- that was one of the concerns that some people had, and by that I think mostly a lot of the you know FF seven purists they were they were worried that you know moving to yes. a different battle system was going to like ruin the experience or whatever. But from from everything I've gathered, plus what you're saying, it kind of corroborates that that it, it sounds like they actually struck a pretty good balance to where it's a little bit more yes. interactive, I think, but still. Sort of keeps the spirit of, you know, the, the turn-based system. Definitely. So. It definitely keeps the spirit, and it has a classic mode, which I played around mm. with, which turns it, if you're really purist, you can play it in classic mode. Um, but I, I thought I thought that the action mode was way better. And it, what, what they did a good job of is when you're, when you're young and you're playing these games and the graphics are really sort of rudimentary. Right. Let's admit him in. Um, your, your mind fills in the blanks. Mm-hmm. And when I was playing the the remake demo, I'm like, this is really close to what I was imagining as a kid <laughs> when I would like go to sleep and like I would imagine Final Fantasy VII in in the world and the characters and daydream like that. Uh, th- I think they nailed it. I was really worried, but the demo was promising. To yeah, me. that's uh, that that's what I like to call the Ocarina of Time problem. Where, yes, <laughs> where like uh, going and playing Ocarina of Time, like for the 3DS remake, um, that looks how my brain thought the game used to look. Yes, yeah. uh, yes. Where did I get cut off? By the way, hello everyone. I'm back. Um, we were actually just going to ask you about how you felt the Final Fantasy VII demo. Yeah, if you had oh, a wow. chance to then play it or not. How- how I felt while you were off. Okay. So yeah, I went off on another one of those 30 second tangents. Uh, Great. <laughs> where it got recorded, but I haven't, I haven't even downloaded it yet. To be honest with you. What, what? is it? Yeah. Uh, what is it? Because I have limited room left on my PS4. Uh, I don't want a good point. I don't want to delete a lot. And cause I still have the PT on my PS4. Ooh. Me too. Me too. I'm trying to keep it on there. Uh, something Shane needs to yep, play. I definitely. need to bring it over to his house sometime. I need to play some PT. Maybe quarantine yes. time will make good for it. We could call it QT, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> boo. 
But I haven't downloaded yet. Hey, Dad, that was that was great. That, hey, I laugh at all bad jokes. <laughs> yeah. Keep them coming. Uh, Keep them coming. I, 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 I like the fact that a lot of people like it. Uh, I do enjoy that. But I even told this to Shane back when they announced this. What, back in, I think it was in 2016, 2015 when they announced it. I can't remember when. But I'm, I, I'm somewhat suspicious or, or hesitant to back a game that's going to be coming out episodic like this. Because mm, I had a feeling yes, yes. that Square was going to milk the shit out of this. I always did. I think there's going to be tons of DLC, tons of shit you're going to miss out on. And I'm still hesitant for that fact. And I, like, I'm all about the Final Fantasy series. And my first time playing Final Fantasy VII was the demo I got with Tobal number one way back in the day. So, yep. I'm, Ooh, that's a great memory. Tobal number one for the demo. Yeah. That's why I rented it. Yeah. The game wasn't any good. But the demo <laughs> was exciting. I actually like that game. It's kind of blah. Uh, it's not bad. Did you play the blah. dungeon mode? Yes, I did. Um, you didn't like the dungeon mode? I, that's all I did was play the dungeon mode. I didn't even play the fighting game. It was it was media. I mean, when you already have played Tekken and Tekken Two, Tobal Number One was just kind of a thing. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, but <laughs> uh, again, I'm hesitant. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a great game, just much in the vein of the Resident Evil remake and the Resident Evil Two remake, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, I, I again, it irritates me how long people were asking for this. Because if the game that you're saying is the best game of all time needs a remake, how good is it really? Oh, come on. That's actually I don't really think good point. it needs a remake. None of this shit needs a remake. It's just that that's, they... Uh, that, according to Final Fantasy VII fans, it did. Uh, I guess. I don't heavily, know. Heavily, heavily, heavily... Hey, you can want something so bad it feels like a need. That, yeah, there, mm-hmm. see? There you I go. It. Yeah. <laughs> and when you need something, that's a responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. The demo played... I was telling him when you were cut off the... Uh, when the when the opening movie plays and it's a semi shot for shot recreation, but it zooms out over Midgar and the logo comes up and the theme comes in, I legitimately got a little emotional, and uh, oh, yeah. I was like, okay, they're they're nailing it. Like they've they're at least tapping into that nostalgia pipe like pretty hard. And then as I played it, it tugging on those heartstrings, man. Yeah, it felt like what I imagined Cloud would move. Like when you play him, and I was telling him it plays kind of like a Devil May Cry simplified devil may cry action game you have light and strong attack and a stance switch mm. but then you can you can um you hit a button to do commands and everything goes in. it doesn't completely stop but it's like bullet time so if things slow down so you can make decisions in the menu but then it's also an action game i thought it was a great balance it felt like what i imagined when i was playing it like how i'd fill in the gaps as a kid like oh cloud's yeah. a super soldier he's infused with mako he can he's like superhuman but when you he doesn't look superhuman when you play him so that I, you would make up the gap in your mind and now the game actually looks like what i imagined as a kid yeah. so the final fantasy 7 remake is for everyone who loved final fantasy 7 they just hated the fact it was an rpg that's a good point that's pro- and honestly, that's probably what they're what they want because they want it to make a lot of money. They've got to make it more mass appeal than just RPG fans and JRPG nerds. I just it just so that is it's just completely it's it's antithetical to what Final Fan. I don't know. I just again, I'm not <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to be a bad game. Please don't take that as how I'm saying it. But I, I mean, don't get it. I don't. It's not get it. It's not going to be the same experience as, as playing. The original, yeah, it's not going to be in. No, but on on some level, well, I would say on some level, for some people like myself, that that might actually be 
that might be okay. But you like, like I, Kingdom Hearts. Yes. Yes, I do. And therefore, <laughs> my opinion on everything is invalid. I know. But I'm just saying that I, I feel like I'm actually looking forward to this because I I want to experience the story of FF7 with, you know, besides just watching it. But uh, but I don't want to play the original game because it just yeah. it's, it does nothing for me. Uh, the original story yeah, is not I, that I, great either. Eh. So they're going to change it up. It's decent. What's that? Yeah, they are going to change it. There's already there's already some big changes in the story just from the demo. Oh, see, there you go. Um, so yeah, they're they're, def- they're definitely going to change it. I I can kind of see where you're coming from. I love JRPGs, um, but sometimes going back and playing even the ones that I think is like my favorite JRPG of all time is Sukoden Two, and I've played it like once a year for like five or six years. But now it's like I played it enough. I can't. It's it's just they're too slow. I kind of like which one? You said coded two. Oh, Sui Coden two. Oh, Sui Coden. Yeah, I love Sui Coden. Sui Coden two is my opinion the greatest JRPG ever made. It's not hands down. I, I I would agree with you. It is fantastic. I don't put it that high, but you are absolutely right. That is a fantastic, fantastic game. Yeah, that's probably my favorite JRPG. But I was bringing that up. Even that game, which I I do still play over, I've played it all the way through probably like six or seven times now. I go back and I play it and like the JRPG formula, like the structure of how JRPGs play generally, it just turn-based combat and how like the narratives would go to this town, talk to the right NBCs, unlock things, follow, you know, do this, do that. Doesn't engage me as much. I'm kind of with Shane, like I like that Final Fantasy VII remake is not a JRPG. Because I've already played it as a JRPG mm-hmm. a, a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Now I'm playing it again as an action game, which I'm okay with. I, I do think the the type of JRPG that Final Fantasy VII was back in 1998, that you don't find a lot of that any anymore unless it is in that retro nope. aesthetic. Like, it just doesn't really fly. Whereas you look at Final Fantasy... Like, I'm sorry. You look at Resident Evil 2, and you can take that you can essentially have the same gameplay. You're just having a different... You can put a really new, fresh coat of paint on it to make it feel like it's something completely yeah. different. And also, not yeah. tank controls, for the love of God. Not tank controls, yeah. Well, you think Definitely. about it, it is I, tank controls. It's just over the shoulder. That's what Resident Evil 4 was. I, uh, oh, okay. I just played the the Nemesis demo. It's really good. It is kind of tanky. Like You are slow. It's not like playing other third-person shooter games where you're really nimble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it still retains that sort of sluggish. But that's what makes it scary. Well, okay, for just... the record, I'm I'm not talking about like the pacing of it. Like The, the remakes of RE and RE2 are fantastic, by the way, first of all. And best remakes ever. Yeah. So yeah. Like that, yes. that's basically the, the benchmark for remakes in my opinion. But, um, no, I mean, I mean the literal tank control where like, you know, the original game, you would walk in the direction. Well, you'd walk in the direction that you were pressing regardless of where you were looking. And that can be super disorienting. So having, yes. you know, more monitored, modernized controls, but you know, having the same, uh, fixed camera angles, which was a huge deal for the setting in that game, um, or those games, I should say. And, and basically, just like Chris was saying, having a really nice coat of paint on it and everything, they didn't necessarily have to do too much to tinker with it. But, um, and I think that was to its benefit. And they turned out like amazingly well. Like, I just went through and played the, um, the Resident Evil remake fairly recently, and um, it was, it was really good. The GameCube one that got ported to PC and everything? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. That one's good. I I haven't played Zero. Like, there's a Resident Evil Zero, which came out on the GameCube after the GameCube remake, and now it's on PC as well. Um, but I have played the RE2 remake, and then I just played the the demo for RE3, which was which was really good as well. I'm trying That's to remember. It. Was Zero was Zero on the 3DS? Was Zero on DS? No, that was uh, you're thinking Revelations. Oh, okay, maybe that's what yes. it was. Because I played those also. Those were actually... I, I enjoyed those quite a bit. And then there was Resident Evil Deadly Silence for the Nintendo DS. Mm, I did not play that one. I played Revelations, though. Yeah. I will, I will say this about... There's a lot of offshoots. I will, Go ahead. I will say this Go about ahead. Resident Evil. Why? What the fuck happened to Code Veronica? Like, that game, everyone that, loved that it. That was the best one. Everyone it's loved it. It's the best one! Like for, yeah, I, I'm not saying it's the best one. But forever, people said that it was... A phenomenal game, and now over the past couple of years, everyone's like, "Yeah, it was, it was okay." But when it came out, and like for years after that, up until a certain point, everyone was just saying how great Code Veronica was. Now it's get, now it just seems to get shit on all the time. What the fuck happened? I don't see people shitting on it. It kind of got eclipsed by Resident Evil Four, from my my perspective. Four came out and became right. like the golden child, but it was better um, than three. And now that the three remake, I think so. Yeah, now that the three remake is coming out. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, we all love 3. No, you didn't. No one loved 3. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loved Code Veronica more, and they're asking, why isn't this 3? That was the that was the temperature back then. So I don't know where the fuck all these s- people are coming from. I have seen on, like, forums and comments, comment sections around, like, Resident Evil 3 trailers and Reddit and whatever, people saying, I hope they do Code Veronica next. Oh, yes. So I, there's definitely... S- and they probably will if they keep making money off these remakes. I, Code Veronica was a. I think it originally came out, or it was a Dreamcast exclusive, wasn't it? It started out as one, and then the Code Veronica X came out for the PS2. Okay, I, I remember. Uh, I didn't have a Dreamcast, but a friend had it, and I saw it, and I was it blew me away. And then I ended up borrowing his Dreamcast and playing it. It was. I think part of the magic for me was it was it was a next gen Resident Evil. That's part of the reason. So maybe that maybe that wore off over time, the being wowed by the next the newest Resident Evil, and then people started sleeping on it. But I agree with you. Like uh, it was a big deal. It, was, it had a lot of hype when it came out. And but everyone talks about four now. That's like, well, know, of course, you can't say Resident Evil Four sucks without being just laughed out of the room. Essentially, <laughs> well, see, and then like some games had the opposite problem, like um, uh, Wind Waker. Everybody like fucking hated that game when it came out because they were just like, "What is yes. this cartoon garbage?" And then, and then years later, suddenly everyone was just like, "Oh no!" Like I really love Wind Waker. Yeah. Like you did not. Like it, and then granted, the HD remake for that one actually was done really well, but uh, I just think it was funny because I that one for Wii U. That's yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. for the Wii U. Yeah, and like that one totally did not get. I think the the praise that it deserved at the time. So I'm I'm glad that people came around to it. But if you wanna if you wanna talk Another about game. games that you want to remake, because I could talk about that. Let's 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 talk about uh, Gauntlet Legends. Ooh, the arcade like a uh, top down beat 'em up kind of right. Yeah. So the one that was well, so it's Legends or Dark Legacy, depending on which system you had it on. Dark Legacy, I think was wasn't it on sixty four? Yeah, man. There was a port on sixty four. Yeah, Gauntlet Legends yeah. was I was on N sixty four. It was one of the ones that we're talking about. Like so, this and and this one and Castlevania sixty four are like my version of how you feel about FF eight because I like them and. They probably don't yes. deserve it. 
<laughs> I liked. I actually liked the. Ca- so I was going to bring up Symphony of the Night because one, that's how I was exposed to your podcast. Yeah. I found the Symphony of the Night episode. Uh, two, it had a similar thing originally, like Wind Waker. It didn't do well critically mm-hmm. in the beginning. Well, critically, it did Symphony well. Sales wise, it didn't do well. Um, judging from, I think, from your podcast is where I got this information from. So if I got it wrong, either A, you told it to me wrong, or B, I heard well, it wrong. shit. Um, yeah, we, we probably fucked I it think up. Critically, it's okay, okay I, I think from your podcast, I learned critically it did well, but it, the, the sales, it kind of became a classic later. Yes. Because it wasn't a – yeah, 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 exactly. And I think that's the same thing that happened with Wind Waker. Maybe not as extreme, but I was going to... And then you brought up Castlevania 64, which as a Castlevania fan, Symphony Night's my favorite. But I also really like this, both the 64. There's a second one on 64. Yeah, man. Legacy um, of Darkness. What it's, yeah. Yes. I like them. And people, people shit on those all uh, the time. There are two of us. Fantastic. <laughs> no, like I'm, I'm literally the only person that I've ever talked to or met that actually likes Castlevania 64. Everyone else thinks it's a giant dumpster fire. It is a giant dumpster fire. <laughs> it is, but it's it's like one of those like there's a movie that me and my brother always argue about. It's called Ninja Assassin. I don't know if you guys have seen it or heard yep. about it. Uh-uh. It's a really hokey like action B movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I have seen it. Yeah, it's extremely gory and and just Yes, extremely yes. gory. Yes. I've seen like the like opening 15 minutes of it. It's great. Yeah, the yeah, it, the, that's probably one of the best parts of the movie is just the opening, the opening scene. It's a terrible movie, but it's so ter- it's a terrible in a way that I love it. And that's how I feel about both the Castlevania 64s. Yeah. Yes, they are clunky. They're, but they're like something about sometimes when something is so bad, it can become good. Like the movie The Room becomes a, a freaking famous for being <laughs> such a terrible movie. Like I, they're they're so bad. I admit that they're bad, but for me, they're bad enough in a way that I ended up loving them. And I still can go back and play them and like laugh and have a good time. Yeah, I still I still enjoy going back and playing Castlevania 64. Actually, that was one of the first ones I think. Chris, if I remember right, I think that was one of the first games that we started playing when we uh, started doing yes. our Sunday streams. Uh, and, right. It's and, because we both, we both, well, it was one of the first episodes we did, actually, because uh, I had my kid on it. And because we both were like, oh, yeah. this game is bad, but it's it's so bad, it's tolerable. It's entertaining. Yeah. 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 Did you guys play the one, I think there's two of them. I'm sure Chris will remember your memory. Your memory is like on point. It's the there's two of them on PS2. I think one of them is like Lament of Innocence or Lament of Innocence, and the other one is uh, Legacy of Darkness. I thought that's what you said. I think you're right. I liked. Okay, I thought that was the other N64 one. No, Legacy of Darkness is the 64 one. Oh, Legacy of Darkness. Oh God, Uh, it's the one with Hector. Um, God, I can't think of it right now. I can look it up real quick. But. PS2, yeah, PS2, Castlevania, Castlevania. Lament of Innocence, I think, is the first. That's the one first that one. It's, it's actually the the first. Very chronologically, is the first in the series. And yes. Now I was going to ask about that. Is that canon with the uh, the one later that came out on 360? Yes. Because the first one, okay. Because Lament of Innocence is like a Belmont becoming Dracula, right? I thought they'd remember. No, like he, you be no. Lament of innocence. Remind me. Uh, Lament of innocence. So, uh, a dude and his buddy uh, go to try and recover dude's wife, and dude's wife is, ends up dying and becomes the vampire killer. She's like her soul is melted into the whip. Uh, spoilers, by the way, because Shane was being a dick about it earlier. Uh, <laughs> but uh, she ends up being her soul ends up getting fused into the whip, and you find out that his buddy ends up becoming Dracula. 
because his buddy was so resentful over the fact that his wife had died and it, it wasn't his and it wasn't his buddy's wife that died so he lost everything and lost his shit and yeah oh the second one you're thinking of is curse of dark curse of darkness not legacy uh, of darkness curse of darkness yes and, yeah, I like I like those ones too, and I remember thinking that the you, I got the details wrong, but I remember thinking like, oh, this is the origin of Dracula. This is really cool. Yes, when I when it ended, but I thought the one on three sixty, which I never beat, where you played the guy at the red coat and the d- brown hair, um, mm-hmm. Castlevania. It's like more of an action Devil May Cry type game. Uh, oh, Shadow was, Shadow of the Colossus, <laughs> Castlevania Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, yes, Lords that's, of that's the Colossus. The I'm sorry, <laughs> it's Shadow of Colossus. Yeah, yeah. That's also a great game, by the way. It's great. Lords of L- Lords, Lords of, Lords of Lo- Darkness, uh, uh, whatever. Yeah, Lords of Shadow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, I thought that one. I didn't play it, but I remember reading like lore and watching YouTube videos. I thought that one was also about the how Dracula became Dracula. Uh, they tried. Yes. Yeah. That was the one where Belmont became Dracula. Yes. Also. Okay. So those two are, they're not, they're not connected. It's like a separate. No, Lords of shadow is non-canon. Yeah. It's not. Oh, it's non-canon. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah, non-canon because it, the sequel absolutely took a shit on itself. Oh so. God. Well, I was going to say for the record, a lot of people didn't, they, they were pretty lukewarm on Lords of shadow, I think overall, but I, I actually played that game all the way through and, um, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's, it it's fine. It's, yeah. It, it was, I, I thought it was at least competent. Like I enjoyed my time with it as far as Castlevania games go. It's probably not one of the better ones, but I don't think it was as bad as some people made it out to be. The sequel, though, is terrible. It's probably the best 3D Castlevania. That. No, clearly that's Castlevania 64. <laughs> okay. I would actually say Lament, Lament of Innocence, probably the PS2 one. It's my favorite. Listen, favorite I enjoyed it. One. It has a C64 great soundtrack, too. has skeletons on motorcycles. Case closed. Yeah. That's a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> how, how are we going to argue with Did that? You, you, you can't. We can't. Yeah, see? Mm. You can't argue with... Something as illogical as skeletons on motorcycles. <laughs> and like 18, 18, 1878. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hated, speaking of weird, wacky, people love this game. Uh, I hated, I didn't hate, I did not like in Metal Gear uh, Solid 2, the, the fat guy on rollerblades with bombs. I thought that was so outlandish and did not fit the boss. He's like a fat dude on rocket blades and he plants bombs everywhere. <laughs> to me, that's the same as having a skeleton on a motorcycle in 1841, whatever the hell it is. But Just way less metal. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Metal Gear Solid 2 is just an exercise in futility anyway. That was... <laughs> yeah. Not a fan? Uh, Not really. I, I was one of those people that was very much affected by the bait and switch of riding. Me too. Very. I was upset about that because I loved the demo, and I was like, "I'm so excited for this" because I love the original Metal Gear Solid. It's probably up there in my top ten games of all time. But the sequel, I'm like, "Okay, here I am. I'm Solid Snake. I'm sneaking around. Oh, it's cool. He's he's still his his cocky asshole self. Oh, and now I'm riding. Okay, so when am I going to be Snake again? Oh, that's that's not happening, is it? Oh. And then you realize over time, like, am I ever going to be Snake again? No. <laughs> and then yeah, and then you meet Pliskin and you figure out that that's Snake and you're like, oh Jesus, I'm stuck with this guy forever. Yeah, I I was I mean I beat it and it was weird, but I felt the same way. Metal Gear Solid One. Speaking of JRPGs and uh, Psycho Mantis fucked my mind because <laughs> I was so I was still young enough to like not, not figure out how it was working, uh-huh. and I had Sukoden I had a uh, Sukoden One and Two. And you know, you know how you can import your save from Sakodan 1 into Sakodan 2, and then you can, if you got all 108 characters, then you can get the main character from Sakodan 1 as like a secret character. Yeah. And I had, I had done all that, 
and uh, I had a complete save file on both of them. And when you have that, Psychomantis will uh, read your memory card, and if you have any Konami games, uh-huh. he'll like make a comment. And he started talking about Sukoden and how I had gotten all this. St- I forget the exact line, but not only did he say you, I can tell you love Sukoden, but I can tell you've gotten all 108 stars of Destiny or something. Oh wow! And it freaked freaked me the shit out. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Um, and then I read, I read later. Oh, it just reads your memory card, and they have pre-written lines based on what save data you have. And they could only do. They, he could only comment on Konami games because of like licensing issues, yeah. right? So it would only work if you had a, a game from Konami, like a, a save block on your memory card. Yeah, and it got me. It got me really good. The same with me. He got a. He said the same with me with uh, Sweet Coden and Azure Dreams. Oh yeah, I forgot about that game. That's a good one. It's fantastic. Did you ever play? Did you ever play Alundra? Yes. Not not a lot of it though. Not enough to really comment on it. Not enough. Yeah. That's one that um I really like. That seems to be like. It's hard for me to find people who played it. Um, people who play it usually really like it. It's a Link to the Past clone on PS1 that's... With uh, devilish puzzles. Yes, devilish puzzles. Speaking of Chrono Trigger, did you see Sea of Stars? It's like a Kickstarter announcement. I have not seen that. The, I'm all about backing some from, Kickstarters, though. It, uh, I, I, I backed it immediately. It's uh, the team that made The Messenger, that like, ninja kind of retro game that came out recently. It's like a Ninja Gaiden type uh, side scroller, yeah, yeah. and they wanted to make a Chrono Trigger sort of like a, a spiritual successor to Chrono Trigger, but they couldn't get the funding as a new studio. So they made a platformer, made it successful, and then now they're making Sea of Stars, which is the original game they wanted to make in the first place. Mm. And uh, if you look up the announcement for it now or later, whatever, I think you'll see, it looks really good. They've, sea I think of they've stars? captured. Pretty sure it's called Sea of Stars. Let me double check. Sea. Of stars, Kickstarter. Yeah, Sea of Stars. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, okay. Chris. Should Chris be, uh, loves Kickstarters. He loves uh, spending money on things he might never get. Fuck you. Fuck I've you only shame. been. I've only been burned <laughs> once. <laughs> that is, I've been burned once by a like a cell phone case. Actually, huh? Supposed to be a cell. Anyway, I got burned hard on the Indiegogo. But I I uh, backed Indivisible, which came out recently. It's like a Valkyrie profile clone, which is another kind of rare JRPG on PS1 that did you play Valkyrie Profile either of you? Oh yes. I'm I'm familiar with it. I haven't yeah. played it. It's it's a it's that's what it's it's a love hate game. It's a love hate game for me. What do you uh, it's very slow. Is that what you hate about it? No, that's not what I hate about it. Uh, what do you hate about it? Uh the fact that if you do everything right you fail. And if you do everything wrong you fail. The only way to <laughs> <Yes>. advance the <laughs> plot the, Yeah. The only way to advance the plot is if you do things right and wrong. And so you could you could put two hours and you could put like twenty hours in that game, and it's like you didn't do this right. You're like, what the fuck didn't I do right? And it's like, well, sometimes you're supposed to send stuff up for Odin, but sometimes you're not. I'm like, what? See, this is starting to <laughs> what, yeah, this is starting fuck? to sound like the uh, like the old Sierra and LucasArts adventure games, like King's Quest, where. If you didn't get a certain item, like at the very beginning of the game, it lets you get all the way to the end and then gives a big fuck you because you can't finish it. Yeah. So, like, it has this, it has this like, approval rating from Valhalla. Because you're a Valkyrie and you're trying to collect the Anheriar for Ragnarok. So As you do. I, I, yes. I know a lot of... His, his memory... Your memory is on point with terms, by the way. You got you got a steel trap in that brain of yours. <laughs> it, 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 well, at least it's good for something, I guess. But There's no room for anything uh, else. Just this. Yeah, exactly. He even, pro- he even pronounced it right. I'm like, damn. <laughs> so, like, there's, there's, there's... 
if, if you do everything right, it seems like the incentive is to do everything right. Like, you get these artifacts from completing these missions, which gets you more in Harriar for your party. And you're supposed to supply Valhalla with uh, the Unheriar enough for the Battle of Ragnarok. To, yes, for the battle. Yeah, yeah. And, and supply these artifacts for it. And you're like, oh, I'm doing everything right. So I have like a hundred rating. So you get a hundred rating, and you get this battle, and it just kind of ends, and it just it's over. And you're like, what the fuck? Like this can't be it. And you're right, it's not it because you have to maintain like a rating between like sixty and seventy. So every once in a while, you're supposed to keep your artifacts, not send them up to Valhalla. And every once in a while, you're supposed to keep your party members, a.k.a. on Harriar, and not send them up to Valhalla. So yep. it kind of makes Odin unhappy, but at the same time, you keeping him above being unhappy. So you have to maintain that, like, mediocreness of happiness. And then if you do that, then you get to fight in Ragnarok. And the game extends out about ten more hours. And I'm guessing they do nothing to it actually is, it, communicate I would that. say that's a, that is a... Like a very, uh, I know I liked it at the end because I beat it. Like at the shitty ending, I did the same thing. Like I did everything right, read online what to do, and I, I I liked that there was like a like a secret kind of extra point of the game that you had to get. I liked the game enough, I replayed it and did it. But I could see how that would be. I also felt like the story was very much around: Do you have control over your fate, or is it all pre- predetermined? Like that age-old question in it felt like you do everything right and you still don't get a fight in Ragnarok. You still get sent back to sleep and you're still a slave to Odin at the end. And there's, it's futile. There's nothing you can do about it. And I, I, maybe, maybe it's cause I was teenager and depressed growing up in a hardcore, I grew up really Orthodox Mormon, uh. which is like followed this way. And there's only one way to do things and you have to act and talk a certain way. Maybe, maybe it resonated with me with that. And I could see now in hindsight though, feeling like, you didn't because it doesn't give you any hints. Like there's no, there's nothing. Like you would never be able to d- derive. You have to keep that rating between sixty to seventy percent. We just lost him without like finding about it online. And see that that's the thing, man. It's like that's that's what I was talking about earlier. Where I just that kind of stuff totally turns me off from things. Pisses you off, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But again, I think uh, if and I could be mistaken about this, but I think. Valkyrie profile was right around that same era where that was that was kind of the height of that um where a lot of those titles particularly like JRPGs and things like that were designed specifically with those sorts of things in mind where and you could take the cynical approach like we have done in the past and say that it's to sell strategy guides but the other way that you could look at that um potentially is that Developers were just responding to the fact that information was easier to get. It was starting to get easier to get. And so they were just intentionally trying to make their games more obfuscated and a little bit more obtuse on how to do some of those things yeah. to try to combat that. So, the, you know, it could be that too, but at the end of the day, it was still irritating. That's like, um, very irritating. even, even FF4, which I said was one of, you know, probably top for me i think out of all the final fantasy games um there are some things in there that if you didn't know you would totally miss it and you'd you'd never see it again like one of the boss battles you're supposed to leave the area and then if you come back in immediately there's like a fairly important and useful item there but you would have never known that and logically you'd never have any reason to say like you know what i'm gonna go out and then come back in this cave like who does that yeah I don't mind those things when they put hints 
hints in the game where you're paying attention. Like you pick up a document or a dossier or an audio log or something. Right. And if you pay attention to those, then they give you, and then there is some sort of precedent that, hey, you could figure this out if you were paying attention, then it doesn't bother me as much of like you were saying, there's like with Valkyrie profile before you uh, got kicked off, Chris, I was saying the issue I could see with that is there's no, <laughs> oh, lost him again. <laughs> Motherfuck. Uh, yeah, there's no, there's no hints, but uh, I think if they put the hints and maybe what they were trying to do, you were saying they're trying to make games more obtuse because information was available. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were also trying to give people like a sense of reward of discovering a secret and then getting rewarded but it was just designed bad. They didn't give enough hints, so yeah. it's like no one could figure it out unless unless you knew somebody or you had the guide or something like oh. that. And maybe it was just a bad attempt at trying to create that reward. Like when a Symphony of the Night, when I figured out how to get to the upside down castle, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, I got a whole nother. I'm only fifty percent done. <laughs> Holy shit! It yeah. was like it was an amazing, amazing experience. But. There was hints in that game. You get the sunglasses, and there's like a description on them. And I eventually figured it out. Yeah, see that? Well, because that right the, there is like that's some that's some Dark Souls shit right there, where you just find stuff out from like item descriptions. Yes, yeah, oh, like way. And I think that if I think if they have some of those things like that, and then you look back and go, you know what? If I would have been paying attention, I could have figured out that if I would have stuck between sixty and seventy uh, approval rating, I could have gotten to the Battle of Ragnarok. But uh, for my memory, Valkyrie Profile does not give you any sort of hints at all. It just throws you into the throws you into the <laughs> the world. Fly around, find people who are about to die, take their souls, send them to Valhalla, do it over and over again. Ragnarok's coming, and that's all it tells you. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. you feel super betrayed at the end. And I, I get it. I know I missed probably a bunch of conversation because my internet is bullshit and fuck AT and T during the coronavirus. I'm blaming <laughs> the coronavirus for this because uh, there was the internet. But um, yeah, great battle system, and every single time you you intervene in these people's end of their lives to recover them as a nine here you are, there are some very powerful storytelling elements there that that you really didn't see yes. at the time. Um, then we we got into this uh, topic because of Kickstarter, so a, a game called Indivisible, which is like rips the Valkyrie profile battle system. It's made by the people who did Skullgirls, is like an indie fighting mm. game. Oh. I I backed that on Kickstarter, and it. A long time ago, and it came to fruition. I didn't get screwed. That's the only game uh, I backed on Kickstarter, and I, I didn't get screwed. So, <laughs> Sea of Stars, I backed. Hopefully, I don't get screwed on that as well. Well, I'm still waiting for uh, Psychonauts 2 to come out that I backed on Fig. Is Fig still a thing? Does anybody know? I don't, I don't even know. I don't know if Fig. I remember. Yeah. I I thought I saw some recent footage of Psychonauts 2. Yeah, it's, like, it's, it's still, there. It's still alive. It's just uh, they're... They're taking their sweet time. That's a great game, by the way. A good retro game to talk about is Psychonauts. Yeah, I keep telling Chris that we need to do an episode about that, but I don't think he's ever played it. No. You've not played it? It's good. I've started playing it once. Go ahead. I said I started playing it once, so... Um, but not played it. I need to. It's been a hot minute since I played it, so I, I'm not sure if it would hold up now. It does, but I have really fond memories. <laughs> I can I can say that it does. I, I played it a couple of years ago again, and I it, it definitely still holds up. Yeah, mm. that's a good game. That's a really good game. All right, uh, PS. I want to maybe we can go talk about. We're, we're already like at two hours, probably one an hour and a half. Yes. Um, yeah, we're almost two hours. PS2 sort of like Xbox era. What um. Did you guys have those consoles, obviously, and what games stick out? 
Well, um, so that was actually around the era where I did not, I actually didn't own either of those consoles. Um, that was my, that was more of like my PC gaming, um, heyday, I guess. Like my, my console ownership was largely like, I was largely a Nintendo boy for, for quite a while. So I, um, like, like we said earlier, you know, I, I eventually got my NES and then I had a super Nintendo that was right around the same time that I got our, our first home PC. So I had like an SNES and a PC concurrently. And then, um, I was really into the N64 and then after that, um, I was almost exclusively PC gaming for quite a while. Like I didn't actually pick up a console again until, well, I guess technically probably the Wii. And then, um, and then I picked up an Xbox 360, like towards the kind of end of its lifespan and kind of went back and caught up on the, on the, on the back catalog. Yeah. yeah. Did you, Chris, did you play any of the RPGs on 360? Because I started falling out of love with JRPGs, like, mid-PS2. Uh-huh. But there was a one on 360 that looks has always looked really interesting to me. So you play, like, an immortal guy, like, dark, Lost long Odyssey. hair, and he's kind of tan. Yes. That one has always intrigued me. Have you played it? Yes. I beat it. Is it, is it good? I loved it. Yeah, that one looks awesome. So that's if, the only one that's like makes me want to um, somehow so play that game. Based off your taste in video games, you're going to like it. You're not going to love it. Sweet. I, I'll say that. I'll like it, but not love it. You won't. You'll okay. like it, but not love it. Um, it's it, there's a lot of. It, of course, it's made by uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi with Mistwalker. So it's more yes. of a. It's it's kind of like if you took Final Fantasy. If you took Final Fantasy Nine. And you made a sequel to Final Fantasy Nine, and you made it off the Unreal Legend. That's what you're going to get. That it's 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 a Final Fantasy game. Uh, I'm all right with that. Yeah, it's fine. That sounds cool. Yeah, it has a lot of mechanics, and I guess they use the same team to make that game as the Shadow Hearts games. So, have you played Shadow Hearts? I did play the first one. So you're, you're going to get that element. So there's going to be some timing elements in terms of like the battle mechanics. Uh, I found the first disc was absolutely fantastic. They have these little vignettes. That they not vignettes, I guess areas where like you discover more about the backstory of the main character, and they're written by a professional novelist, and they are fantastically written, uh, and it kind of drives the the backstory for the main characters and the plot. I, I I after disc one, I didn't like it as much. I will say that, and it was interesting. It's the first game I had to boil a disc to play it. So there's to play it was a scratch. I'm sorry, you can boil a disc. Yeah, yeah. So there's um disc four in a lot of the games that were released for Lost Odyssey. There's a problem that it won't load up on your 360 naturally because of the way it was shipped. There's a film that ends up developing on the bottom of your disc on disc four. So one of the ways of getting rid of that film is to put your disc in boiling water for about three seconds and then remove it, dry it off, and then it'll work. Wow. Okay, what I really want to know is that, who figured that out? I yeah, who figured it out? I, yeah. I, I don't know. But it works, because <laughs> I did it. I had a... I, uh, sp- speaking of Final Fantasy VII, I had a, a scratch disc that was it would uh, pause on the scene when you're at the big freaking cannon town and the the airship like lands. There's a, there's a cut scene where the airship like takes off and lands, mm-hmm. and I could not get past that cut scene. I didn't try boiling my disc. I didn't heard that, but I tried like disc doctors. I tried everything I could think of 
And I ended up, this is when uh, uh, I think I started questioning whether God or Mormonism was real. As I prayed to the, my, this Mormon God I believed in, I was like, I will read scriptures for, I'll do anything if you make this disc work. <laughs> like for however many hours I play Final Fantasy VII, I'll go to church. I'll do service. Like, and it was, they, they teach you like, if you really, really are sincere when you pray, like you'll, you'll, you'll get hooked up. And uh-huh. I did not get hooked up. That disc never worked. <laughs> I don't know what, the, anyway, boiling the, I would have, you bring that up like, I would, I was at a, I was so desperate to play that game. Uh-huh. I would have tried boiling the disc if someone bought it up. I just, I just feel was, uh, like disc boiling might've been a very specific scenario for Lost Odyssey. I, I would not recommend yeah, trying yeah, that for anything else. <laughs> it's, it's very strange. And I don't exactly, I, I wanted the same thing. How did someone come up with that idea? But it was, it was because of the way it was shipped and, and the way that those four discs came in and that's why you had to boil the disc that's super weird i wonder if that's still a problem now because like you can still get copies of that game yeah i'm sure it is Uh, just just look on any message board type in uh lost odyssey disc four boil and you'll find it (laughs) it exists right so sentences that i never thought i would type into google exactly um because that was my problem, and I ended, hey, up, I ended up finishing yeah, it. Yeah, Google, uh, Google autofilled it for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, there you go. Yeah, enough people have typed it that it autofilled. I, I just said disk four, and then like the third option was boiling out boiling water. That's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, but the sounds other... like you. Huh? Go ahead. No, you go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say Shane. So it sounds like he got the three sixty late. So you missed out on the whole Red Ring of Death fiasco. Uh, I did, yeah. Yeah, I have... Well, actually, I still have it. It's still hooked up uh, in my living room, actually. But yeah, I have the, one of the newer um, black slim models. So I, I missed out on all that garbage and, like... Well, speaking of weird ways to make things work, wasn't one of them, like, wrapping it in a moist towel or some crazy shit like that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I missed all that stuff. But I did... Uh, one of the benefits, I will say, of being a, a patient gamer in that way is... Um, you can get a lot of really great games for super cheap getting them used. So like I went yep. back and picked up like yeah. the Gears of War games and, and all of that stuff for like, you know, a couple bucks each and got to, got to play through all those. So, so I enjoyed that. Oh, but for, so, uh, you're about go to, ahead, Chris, what you were going to say? You're going to ask me about the red ring of death. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, I was going to ask, I was going to ask you if you, cause it sounds like you had a 360 if you played lost odyssey. Oh yeah. Did you, uh, did you get the red ring of death? You were an early adopter. Uh, I wouldn't call myself an early adopter. I think I got it a year after it came out. But I did get one of the OG Xbox 360s. And I did get the Ren Rig of Death. And I got it while I was on deployment in Japan. Uh, So there's... Yeah, it was not fun. Because that was my (laughs) mode of entertainment while I was on deployment. So I got everything, like... The the first disappointment was apparently Xbox can recognize what region you're in when you're trying to download shit. So I hooked up to the internet. I'm like, oh, I want to get this Halo game while I'm on deployment. And it told me, no, fuck you. You're in Japan. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> and and the next thing, I was like, okay, so at least I have my Guitar Hero here. Because Guitar Hero was big back in whenever, like 2000, yeah. 2008, yeah, 2009. Dude. So and I was that. in the middle of playing Guitar Hero. I think it was Guitar Hero 3. And then my Xbox just shut the, the fuck one. down. And it was like in my second month of a seven month deployment, and my Xbox just took a shit. And uh, fortunately, everyone else's Xbox took a shit, so I was able to ship it off to Microsoft for free and get it repaired. 
But yeah, I was I, my primary mode of entertainment was my Xbox 360, and it took a shit on me in the middle of deployment, and it was bad. So that was my Red Ring of Death story. That's uh, the Red Ring of Death, that Business Wars podcast I brought up earlier in the episode. They talk about, so when Microsoft entered uh, with the Xbox, the original, I, I would say Xbox One, but now there isn't Xbox One. The OG <laughs> Xbox. Who Who is naming yeah, that's Xbox? Not confusing at all. Huh? Jesus, Xbox. Anyway, the original Xbox, um, they they undercut, so they lost like one hundred and twenty dollars per Xbox, um, and they just wanted to get market share. I think they lost four billion. This podcast alleges, and then, but they still didn't get as much market share because the PS2. I still think is the highest selling console of all time. Is it? Uh, yeah, I believe I that think is they have one hundred sixty million. Yeah, yeah. So like. They they put all this money. They lost five billion, and they sold a lot of Xboxes, but P- they did not really take any market share from PS2. So for the 360, they did the same thing. They want they wanted to come out before um, the PS3, and then uh, the Red Ring of Death thing happened. And to do all those replacements was like another two or three billion. Anyway, they were just talking about how deep Microsoft's pockets are and how much money they've lost. That they uh, they're. They are alleging in this podcast that they're not even sure if Microsoft has really become fully profitable in the grand scheme of things until maybe maybe this last generation Xbox One didn't do very well either. 360 did really well overall after the Red Ring of Death came out. They sold a shit ton. Right. Yeah, I think um, the consensus now is that the 360 sort of quote-unquote like won that generation, but then the, the PS4 came along and kind of took that back. It's a lot like actually. It back. It's a lot like the political the, system. It just kind of bounces back and forth. Well, the 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 PS3 ended up selling more total units than the 360. Did it? Yes. Huh. No. And, and you want to know why? It's because Japan. Well, that's that's fair. That's yeah, Japan why, yeah. doesn't give two shits about sales. the Xbox. Japan and Europe. So if you look at the North American sales, Xbox kind of dominated, but it, like Europe and Japan really skew a lot of. A lot of the sales when you when you reflect back and what what was the winner quote unquote winner of that generation yeah well and so you, yeah you're right they're uh, they're a million off twelve million for PS3 eleven million for 360 mm. total worldwide yeah well yeah. I mean you, and you were talking about you know them you know basically taking a loss on those but um, for quite a while that was actually just fairly common practice for most consoles like it was they would just sell at a loss PS3 did that for sure yeah, yeah yeah and they were hoping to recoup on software sales but we're actually at a point now um, with the upcoming batch of you know the next generation of consoles that um, the sort of sentiment that I've been hearing around like the game industry and whatnot is that uh, that's not really necessary anymore. Um, just with sort of the climate and the way things are with like technology and the cost of hardware that um, they don't need to sell those boxes at a loss anymore. So they might actually start turning at least a little bit of a profit per console now, which I'm sure they're super stoked about. But Well, that's also why the PS4 and the Xbox One were so anemic at launch. Yeah. It's because they were making a profit at, uh, yeah. out of the box. So right. that's why you have the, the PS4 Pro and the Xbox what is it called? Siri, Xbox One X? Series X. One X. Just Xbox One X? Oh, series, <laughs> series, series X is the new one. It's oh, the yeah. next one. Yeah. yeah. Again, yeah. totally not Microsoft. confusing them. at all. <laughs> no. But that's why you have the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One X, of course, because they, they were underpowered when they launched back in... What is it now? Holy shit. How long has it been? Like 2013? It's been a hot minute. 2014? Yeah, like that. So when they launched, they were... They were 
way underpowered. Like, you can get a PC now for $300 that just stomps the shit out of the PS4 and the Xbox One. And it's not even close. Uh, And you could, back then, you could get a PC for $500, $600 when those those consoles launched, and they would beat them out. Uh, So this upcoming generation, I, I think they do need to focus more on cloud computing and just cloud streaming. Because you're not going to be able to compete with the PC games anymore. Uh, you could get a good PC system, and they're evolving so quick, they're just going to be able to stop them. Well, I mean, but historically, that's been the case anyway. I mean, PCs... No. If, yeah, I think so. Like, for the most part, PCs, if you if you have the wherewithal to buy a decent PC, then a PC is always going to outperform a console. No, I, I don't disagree with you in that sense, but if you go back to, like, the the mid-90s, the the PlayStation was on the cutting edge, and you were getting sure, it for $300. Yeah. Yes. You weren't going to be yes. able to buy a PC at the same level as a PlayStation for $300 fucking dollars. No. Right, but my point my point is, is that didn't last that long, though. No, I was just saying, my point is, is that didn't last that long. Like, I, I, would, argue, I would argue that more time has gone by where you could feasibly get a a PC with better horsepower than whatever they were selling in in a console box. Yeah, but that ended this generation. That that ended with the PS4 and Xbox 1. Because still you look at the PS3, the cell processor is still a it's still a very powerful processor. You look at everything under the hood for a PS3. You had the cell processor, you had a Blu-ray drive, you have the uh, Emotion Engine for so it could play PS2 games, it could play PS1 games, and they were selling that for $600, which was ridiculous. But at the yeah. same time, that was like a $1,200, $1,300 machine. Right. I mean... And they don't, they don't do that anymore. And it had a custom, it had a custom operating system. Well, yeah. I mean, you could also t- look at it from another angle where, you know, consoles now and going forward, like architecturally at least, are basically PCs now. I mean, that cell yeah. processor was like one of the last things that was just super weird. Like, developers hated working with the PS- PS3 specifically for that reason because it was so friggin' obtuse. But now that everything is under like an x86 architecture, it's very easy to do ports and things like that. Uh-huh. So it, there's a parody, you're right, now where, you know, you, you can kind of. You can you can't really go wrong regardless of where you're at, whether it's and really the only differentiating factor is exclusives, and even that's less of a thing, particularly now that Sony is starting to release their exclusives on PC. Yep. 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 That's a uh, yeah. I'm so stoked for Horizon to come to PC. Um, oh yeah. I'm a I like I'm, I've I've always had like the I got into PC gaming like six years ago, and I've always just gotten the best video card. Mm-hmm. That, that I could that I could afford at the time, and I'm thinking of playing Horizon right now is uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's always been exclusives, and Sony's making this move, which kind of tells into what you were saying, Chris, about cloud computing. Why would why is Sony doing that? Right, because I think the reason the PS4 did so well this generation is because of exclusives. I think a lot of people would probably I would agree. agree as part of the formula. Yeah. Yeah. So why would they want to move away from that? Uh I think they're probably just doing a good job of reading the room, frankly. Like if you're if you're looking at where things are headed, you know, with, you know, uh streaming services and cloud computing and that kind of a thing, I think you're going to start relying less and less on exclusives to to sell a box. I mean, if 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 yeah. the, if the idea is that you're going to make the majority of your money over on software sales, then at some point with the direction that the industry is headed, they would 
they'd basically pull a Nintendo and <laughs> be behind the curve on a lot of stuff and they would miss out on a lot of potential sales. I mean, as much as I love Nintendo as a company, as much as one should, you know, reasonably love a corporate entity, um, <laughs> they've historically made some really bad decisions and have always sort of been categorically behind on, on a lot of things. I mean, their their online systems are still hot trash. I mean, the friend system yep. uh-huh. is terrible. It's always been terrible. And I thought that the Switch was finally going to fix all of this, and they, it was going to bring Nintendo up into, like, the current friggin' century. And nope. Nah, nope. No. It's still bad. It's awful. <sighs> but the Switch is doing, is selling like hotcakes. Oh, don't get me wrong. Switch I love my good. Switch, yeah. but there are some some like, you know, modern amenities that Nintendo for whatever reason has no idea how to implement properly. And it's not like they don't have a blueprint. They've got two other major console manufacturers that have gotten this right for at least two console generations and they still can't figure it out. It it baffles me. The Wii That's a really I've I've always I've always wondered that about Nintendo. What what is their hesitancy? They were hesitant about online stuff always from the beginning, and then when they do implement it, it's very, you know, like just not that great. And why? Like, I wonder what what's going through their mind and why they're taking that position. Because they've always been a a proprietary company; they want to make money off of everything they do. Yeah, they're incredibly protective of their IPs. That's that's why. I mean, I just read a story this morning that their Nintendo is now officially starting to go after um, anything that's been created in Dreams that infringes on their copyrights, which I think is really, yeah, which I think is insane, but it not entirely unexpected from them. So they're not going to win that one. No, they won't. But they're going to try. I mean, it's they've. They've try. got deep enough pockets to like at least try that. So this, they're, they're, they're gnarly about that stuff. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this guy on YouTube called Kryzen. It's like XXY Kryzen. Mm-hmm. He uh, uses uh, Unreal and he's making an Ocarina of Time remake and he's like really far. And you can download it and play and it runs really well. And he has not gotten a cease and desist and he's been working on it for like seven years. I've been following this YouTube channel. That's well, And he has wow. like a... That's actually really surprising. But other, it seems like other Nintendo fan games get shut down way earlier. Uh, does anybody remember that Pokemon MMO that existed for like a month? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I remember seeing headlines. Yeah. Never yeah. played it. But before, like you say, yeah, you've been working on it for seven years. Uh, lest you forget the Streets of Rage remake, which was being worked on for eight years. And then with with notifications to Sega... Like, when they began development of it and said, Sega, I'm working on this. Is there a problem? They're like, nah, bro. And then after eight years of working on it and the game was complete and released, they're like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so That's a good point. And then now they're making Streets of Rage 4, which is like an official oh, sequel. Yeah. And it's the the guys who uh, – there's this PC game. I always freaking forget it. It's like a Streets of Rage clone, but they use digitized graphics like uh, Mortal Kombat. They're, they're just like all their homies put in front of a green screen making up moves, and they built like this beat-em-up out of it. It's like – ah, I can't remember. But it's they're the ones who are making the Streets of Rage 4 sequel. I, I saw some gameplay. And, I think I saw some gameplay of it. And the Streets of Rage 4 looks interesting. Uh, do you not like the art style? The con- con- comic booky. I don't. I'm not a fan. We'll see. You don't like it? Yeah. I love, I love Streets of Rage 2. That's my favorite game of all time. So I'm going to have to give this a shot. And it's Sega is making it. So it's not 
like way forward, which they'd be making a fantastic game. There's just something always off about the way forward games. But uh I I, I have to give it a shot. I'm really gonna probably regret it. Oh actually speaking of IPs that are uh that are, are near and dear to us. Has anybody else seen the rumors flying around now that uh Sony might be sniffing around to try to buy Konami's properties? Uh, yeah. Yes, I did see those rumors. I, I, God, That's a great I, thing I to talk so. about. I so hope so. I hope so. Konami's too. the fucking worst. I don't want to see any more like Silent Hill Pachinko machines for the love of God. Yes. Yes. So there's a awesome YouTube video. I, I wish I've actually was thinking about linking it to you guys beforehand so we could talk about it because I want to know someone else's opinion. Mm. It's a basically it's a conspiracy theory esque about Hideo how do you pronounce it Hideo mm. Kojima Hideo Kojima yeah, um, yeah he uh, that PT wasn't he never actually intended PT to be a playable teaser for Silent Hills he had already read the room and he knew that things were going to go south with Konami mm. and that. All of that is sort of embedded in PT, and as and and they go through like a timeline of tweets, and they match all these things up. They make this super compelling case that uh, PT is actually like a subtle fuck you to comp to Konami, and I know it's going to happen, and and like laying hints that like this this whole thing was going to go down, and he already knew had the idea of Death Stranding is still working with Norman Reedus, and all of that is sort of foreshadowed in PT. I don't know, it might be like K- Kojima worship, and they're grasping at straws, but he made a really <laughs> He made a really good, like, as he laid everything out. That's the problem with YouTube videos. It's not a back and forth. They can just, like, lay out their case and all their evidence, and you just finish the video, and like, oh, well, that all made sense, because there was no, like, you didn't. Oh, there really are mole people. Okay. I mean, you can make anything make sense if you really want it to. <laughs> you can milk anything with nipples. <laughs> yes, if, if the new Star Wars movies taught us anything, I have not seen. Oh them. god, I just lost just, interest. You know what? Do yourself a favor and continue not doing that. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, man, I no, I, I listen. It's not because it's Sony or anything. I just really want someone to pick it up because I mean, Konami has been holding hostage a number of IPs that are my favorites of all time, including Silent which, Hill uh, and Castlevania. Are, I'd okay. rather have Capcom steal it than, well, not steal it, but get it, rather than Konami. Well, it's, oh, you mean Sony? I mean, the, rather than Sony, I'm sorry, yeah. rather than Sony. I don't, like I said, I don't care. Like, yeah, Capcom might be a better fit, but I, I just want someone else to take it because they've been... You just want them out from under Konami. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, we've been surviving on some, you know... Metal Gear surviving? Oh, fuck off. <laughs> oh my god. It's so bad, it's uh, good. <laughs> but no, I mean, for those of us that are, like, big fans of those series, we've been surviving off of, you know, either fan games Bloodstained, or, yeah, or Bloodstained or things like that or anything that we can get that's like a, 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 a spiritual successor or a love letter to those kinds of games. And damn it, I just want like another good Silent Hill. Like anything past in anything past Silent Hill three, I will give the room a pass because I actually enjoyed that one. But I thought it was yeah, okay. I thought it was it was it was an interesting experiment to like set almost the entire game inside of one apartment building or apartment room. It, it worked well enough, but the first three are definitely classics, and there are a number of reasons why they actually work well and why all of the sequels after that completely miss the fucking point. But that's like a whole other podcast in and of itself. Um, but I yeah. just did you did you did you play Shattered Dimensions on the Wii? Oh, Shattered or, Memories, the Wii or Wii U. 
Shattered Memories, yes. Uh, so, no, although I've heard that that one's actually pretty decent. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's like number one sort of retold. I, I would like, if someone was getting in, if a listening, if, if you're thinking about playing like a Silent Hill and you want to go back and play the original, mm. if you're playing modern games, I would say maybe try Shattered Memories first because it's basically the same story as the original. Yeah. With with some liberties and just more modern gameplay. Well, I certainly would never tell anybody to play the uh, Silent Hill HD collection that they released with two and three because that's a uh, that's a train wreck. Is it bad? Oh, it's dude. They they hose that up so hard. Um, but only only if you played two and three. No, no, day. fuck off, Chris. No, they still made them bad. Okay, <laughs> listen. Part of the okay, all right. Here we go. I'm going off on this now. It's it's <laughs> happening, and it's all your fault. So my fault. Yes, it's your fault. So one of the things that was so great and atmospheric about the Silent Hill games, particularly one and two, but it was also included in three, was the fog. And there was a technical reason for that because the system had limitations as far as what it could draw. Right, draw distance. And so that was a there was a very mechanical functional reason for why that existed, but. As a actual sort of side effect to that, it added an atmosphere to that game of just this like claustrophobia and not knowing what was around the corner that was to its benefit. It's actually one of the reasons that those games work so well from that particular standpoint, you know, storyline and plot notwithstanding. But in the remakes, first of all, they they done fucked up and somehow lost the source code. So they had to reconstruct a lot of that game from, you know, bits and pieces. So that certainly didn't help. But they also removed a lot of the fog because they're like, oh, well, this is an HD remake on newer systems. So draw distance isn't a problem, except they never did anything to fix it. So, like, if you go and you play those HD, that HD collection, and you look at those games, like, if you look out over the lake... Uh, in actually one of the first shots of Silent Hill 2, when you leave that like gas station bathroom or whatever, as soon as you walk out, you can look across the water and you can already see like where the textures cut off because they, because they just, they didn't render it obviously. I mean, because a, they maybe couldn't and B, they didn't have to because they had the fog in place, but when they remove the fog, they didn't do the extra work. The point is, is that those HD remakes are lazy. They're lazy and they were a cash grab because Konami sucks. And that's the worst way to play Silent Hill 2 and 3. So I would never recommend that to anybody. Definitely just go back, play the originals because they still hold up like 100%. It costs 100% more. (laughs) If you have a good emulator too, the PSX S2 emulator Mm -hmm. is like, it's yeah, I actually the last time I played Silent Hill Two was on on my PC on an emulator, and it worked just fine. The 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 cash grab remake for Final Fantasy VIII is uh, similar. I know you, you guys you know like Final Fantasy VIII, but same thing. They like it looks worse than playing it on emulator because of the way the textures cut in, and they didn't. And uh, it's uh, there's a lot there's a lot of videos out there comparing the new PC HD remaster to the original and to playing it on emulator or the original PC release from like nine whatever it was 1990 something mm. and uh, it's just a cash grab really bad cash grab which is weird because the zodiac age remaster is done really really well but i don't know why eight and nine i played the nine remaster on i think it's on switch yep. maybe my memory is yeah on switch? Is, yeah. yeah yes it's got a it's got like the fast forward like two or four x speed which is huge mm. 
huge convenience, especially for, for that game battles. Yes, that's a big deal. I think I think if you're going to play that Final Fantasy IX, I think the remaster is a good way to go about it. Silent Hills. What about uh? So Castlevania is your other series. Did you like Bloodstained? So, uh, full disclosure, I have not actually played Bloodstained yet. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah I, I, so I didn't back it, um, and I'm actually... What are you trying to say? I'm glad that I didn't. It's <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Because uh, I then had the option to get it on a platform that doesn't suck ass. Because um, the Switch version oh, of that you. game is still terrible. <laughs> But uh, no, actually, I lucked out and GameStop had a one day sale like several months back where you could pick up a PS4 copy of Bloodstained brand new for like $7.99. So um, I so I grabbed that. So I actually do have a physical copy of that, but I haven't uh, had a chance to play it yet. I, I have played Bloodstained. Yeah, I have. I did back Bloodstained. You sure did. So I did. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I will say this, it's a really good game. However, I got it for the Switch. And <laughs> I recommend I recommend if you get this game, do not get it for the Switch. It's not that it's terrible. It's playable, obviously, but Jesus Christ, have I never noticed a a a game that is just it chugs. I've never noticed a game that just noticeably visibly there's just times I'm like this is underpowered. It was not made for this system. Yeah. And while I still to this day hope, wish, and was hoping I was playing this on the Wii U as I was advertised on my Kickstarter backer, and I, I dream of every single day because the Wii U is the best console <laughs> oh, God. ever. The problem is the Wii U is. Oh, the best we we use the best console. We, ever made. we can yes. never get through a discussion without him bringing up the fact that he has a Wii U shrine in his closet somewhere. Everywhere, it's just not my closet. It's the it's whole house. The I have a I have a Wii U. I like it, but yeah. and I I got the Wind Waker remaster, Smash, and I uh, only had a handful of games. Yeah. I like the Wii U. It just it's kind of like yeah. uh, Nintendo did to the Wii U what Sega did to the Dreamcast. Like, well. Never mind. Saturn. <laughs> We're over you. Anyway. See ya. I only have I only have a few Wii U games too, about ninety. But in any case, um talking about Bloodstain, mm. uh yeah. People need to play it if they love Castlevania. It's it's the it's Castlevania Symphony it's of the Night. Good. Um that's all I can really say about it. It's the same game. So if you like it, play it. It's great. I love it. I love I it. I liked it. Yeah. But- I liked it. I don't know if I liked it as much as Symphony of the Night. That's more of aesthetic choices. I thought like, I thought it was weird that you were like this super anime skimpy tatted up chick, but you're really like this <laughs> demon with superpowers. I'm like, then why does she look like a like a fairy with these weird like like the lore and the didn't match the style to me. That was kind of weird, but the gameplay is fun. I got level ninety nine. Everything I got the equivalent. And and Symphony of the Night is called the Chrysogram, yep. I think. And yep. and Bloodstain, it's like the Vorpal something. Like you have to get five Vorpal blades and upgrade them. And I got like that super fast weapon and just crushed everything at the end of Bloodstain. It was fun. I liked it a lot. I definitely a good game. I played it on PC, so I didn't run across any uh, chugging issues. Yeah, yeah. That 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 would be the way to. Or well, actually, I would just say any 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 system other than the Switch is the way to play that game, probably. So like the Wii U. Uh, sure. Yeah, that. Why not? No, but speaking <laughs> of Castlevania games, so my my personal opinion, um, my favorites were actually the the GBA titles. So like Circle of the Moon, no Circle of the Moon, Harmony of Dissonance, and Aria of Sorrow. Like those three were probably some of my favorites. There's no real disputing. I think they got better on the DS though. 
Eh, okay, so here's the thing with that, right? Is um, sort of yes, but also Order of Ecclesia is like hard as balls, like unfairly hard. That's Bloodstained. Essentially, Bloodstained is Order of Ecclesia. Great. Well, now I'm never gonna play it. Uh. <laughs> I didn't think Bloodstained was that hard, but I also it's not hard. It was harder than I thought it was gonna be. It was harder than I thought. Yeah. Um, I got like a uh, one of yeah. If you you know how each uh, enemy can drop you a special move. Mm-hmm. I just you found a couple that were like really uh, che- like basically cheesy, like just overpowered. And in fact, one of them I know they patched the one the one that I used the majority of the game has been uh, has been nerfed. Was that Welcome Company? It was, uh, uh, it was like a of no, maybe it was. It was a uh, like a chainsaw that sh- you could move all directions. Oh. And it just spun and did continuous damage. Oh, actually, I th- I heard about that because um, one of the other podcasts that I listened to, they were talking about it when that when Bloodstain came out, and they were saying that exact thing that like they found that weapon and then just cheesed their way through most of the game, and then they were super bummed when it ended up getting patched. Yeah. So uh, my experience with Bloodstain was a little bit different. It was pretty. I cheesed through a lot with that game. No, I don't know. I yeah, I, I need to play those Game Boy Advance ones. I've never actually, I hate to admit, I know everyone says when it comes to Castlevanias, those Game Boy Advance or the DS versions are the best. Hold on one second. Hey, you got to get out of here. <laughs> I'm talking. You got to bounce. I'm almost done. I'll play with you in just a second. <laughs> okay? Okay? Aww. <laughs> okay. You can sit there. Um... I haven't played those games. Oh, they they are really good. Yeah, you you do yourself a favor and play those. Like I I never any any way you can. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, I'll probably do it on emulate. I have a Game Boy Advanced emulator. Yeah, there you so go. Probably try it. On yeah, that. no, they are super solid. I hate using the term, but you know, Metroidvania. But it's 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 definitely that. And I'm one of those people that I know some people get really burnt out on that, especially now because a lot of the indie titles over the past several years have been going real hard on that whole like Metroidvania thing. Bring them, baby. I'm not sick of See, it at all. I play that's, everyone. So that's them. where I'm at. Is that particular formula? As long as it's executed well, I will like always play one of those and and yep. those GBA Castlevanias are like in my opinion I feel like that's the that's like the the the, the pinnacle, pinnacle yeah of that thing I don't even need to try them. what what are some of the uh, more like modern throwback metroidvanias that you guys have played and liked uh so hollow knight that one's solid <clears throat> yeah played that um I okay so this might be a little bit of an admission but like I so I tried playing Axiom Verge and I got like a half hour into it and I have not gone back to it. I just, for whatever reason, it didn't grab me. And I don't know why, because people say that that's like a really great Metroidvania, but there's something about it that I just didn't do it for me. I don't know. I'll be honest. I really haven't played a lot of modern Metroidvania games. I really don't even think I have a lot of them. Um, I think the most recent one I played was Bloodstained. I can't remember the last time I really played a newer one. Oh, to to that point. Here's one though. Um, uh, Guacamole. Those are good. Yeah, I played uh, Guacamole is good. I played that one. The second I haven't played the second one. It came out. The Steam World is another one that's good. Hollow Knight. Yep. Uh, one uh, my favorite one recently is Blast. I don't know if you guys have heard of Blasphemous. I have. I've heard of I it. haven't had a chance to play that yet, but I've heard it's pretty good. Hey guys, I'll be right back. It's Let's pretty go. good. It's super like. It has the, the the pixel art style is really dark, really gory, and it's 
it's hard. It's very, very hard. Like, that's my only complaint. Is it's I think it's a little too hard. I think a lot of people will get turned mm-hmm. off. The platforming is is hard, and then it has like a Dark Souls mechanic where you you reanimate at like a shrine, and you have to go back and get your stuff. Yeah. But uh, the the save points or the shrines, whatever you want to call them, are really far apart. Mm. And the game is like kind of a it's a slower paced game, so sometimes you're like just fall on a super thing of fucking spikes, and you're like, dude, <laughs> I gotta go all the way back to this spot. Like it's gonna take me 15 minutes just to get here again, and it, that that's a little rough. Um, other than that, it's a really good game. I was just thinking, Iconoclast is another one like Axiom Verge, is made by one guy. Yeah. It's pretty, especially when you know it's made by one guy. I think it's really impressive. Oh yeah, definitely. When you play it, it's, it's super polished. Yeah. There was another one that I'm not, I'm not remembering now. Oh, Strider. It's like it came out a while ago, but it was on sale on Steam for like a dollar. Huh. Yeah, I haven't played and that one uh, actually. It's pretty good. It's like a super fast-paced ninja Metroidvania. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. No. Um. Yeah. That that style of game. Um. That's probably one up there is one of my. One of my favorites for sure. Yeah. I haven't tried the sequel to Guacamelee, but I I I like hundred percented the first one. Like I really enjoyed that. Yeah, they're good good games. I want to wrap up pretty soon with I want you guys to tell me like not your favorite game, but your your like best gaming memory. Ooh, that's tough. Like the best like singular. Maybe it was a night land party. A good. A lot of times people bring up multiplayer experiences, which makes sense because you get the social aspect. Or a game that impacted you super emotionally, like the best, I don't know, yeah, the most strongest gaming memory or most impactful moment you've had gaming. Oh, man. That's tough to nail down. I, th- I, It's hard. It's supposed to be hard. <laughs> so I, 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 oh, wow. I think I know what mine is. There are, there are a lot of pretty good contenders, but... Um, a, a lot like it sounds like a lot like the the other guests you've had on the show. Mine is a, a little bit more multiplayer um, focused, but I think the one that always comes to mind for me now is uh, when I hit sixty for the very first time in World of Warcraft. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I uh, yeah I had played. I was actually in the beta of WoW with uh, my roommate in college at the time because WoW dropped my first year of college, which was uh, incredibly detrimental to my grades, by the way. And um, <laughs> we were we were playing in the beta, and then we played from there. And then, I mean, I've been on and off, but technically, I still play now. I, I'm, I'm, but I'm playing classic exclusively uh, at the moment. But I distinctly remember I was home on break from college uh, in my room at my parents' house at about four something in the morning, uh, running uh, Scolomance with a group. And it was on my Rogue, because my Rogue was my very first main in in Warcraft. And uh, I was in there, obviously, A, trying to level, but B, was trying to get my my Shadowcraft set, which was your dungeon set before you started doing raids for your Tier 1. And um, it was a momentous event, because not only did I ding 60 in that run... But I also had the Shadowcraft cap drop off the last boss, and um, I had a heart attack moment because the hunter, because hunters are assholes, the hunter in that group, he was the party leader, and it dropped, and he typed in the chat, I will never forget this, he typed in the party chat, and he was just like, oh, that's leather. 
hunters can use that, dot, dot, dot. And that was one of the few times where I wished I could reach through the internet and strangle somebody. (laughs) Um, But luckily, he was just bullshitting me, and he rolled greed on it, so I, I got it, and I, you know, I butthole was unclenched and everything went okay but man um but yeah i was so happy that i finally hit max level with my first character because back then leveling took forever and um for i it was several yeah. months before i i hit 60 and so that was like a huge accomplishment for me and wow was my very first mmo so that was like doubly so um so i think i think that one's mine that was that was one of my my mm. fonder memories that's a that's a really good one. It comes it brings a couple of things to mind. One, the South Park episode <laughs> where Cartman and his friends left. Yeah, luckily up, I didn't have a um, bedpan or anything, so you know. <laughs> and then uh one of my other guests, he brought up uh his favorite memory was also an MMO, but it was Final Fantasy eleven uh, mm-hmm. on the PS two when like you could get the modem and how obtuse it was and a similar thing. He actually got some uh, gear stolen. He was explaining, I never got into final fantasy 11. So you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but like the server times would be different. And in order to get like certain raids, uh, mobs would appear mm-hmm. and there would be like Japanese players would be there first. Then it would like update for Japanese players before American players. Yep. Anyway, long story short, he wait, spent all this time with his team, and it got like not only did the mob get stolen, but all the gear got stolen, and it was like one of his most devastating experiences. So you almost had that, <laughs> o- almost, cool. yeah, yeah. And it's funny that yeah. you bring up FF11 also because um, one of my one of my good friends was really really hardcore into that back in the day to the point where she like disappeared into her room for days at a time, and no one saw her. Kind of like hardcore into it so All yeah i've yeah. i've heard i've heard stories of of how ff11 went so that that definitely tracks for sure chris how about you if you had time to think of one yeah so uh, the first one the most the most stuck out memory i'll give i'll just give two because one's kind of a joke the first one is realizing i could play super nintendo games on my pc <laughs> <laughs> that was a ground- like emulator yes that was a groundbreaking yes. moment uh, I think it was 1998 or so when emulators were brand new, and uh, realizing I could play Final Fantasy IV and Final Fantasy V on my computer, and realizing that I could do things illegally, sailing the high seas. <laughs> ah. Yeah, so that that I think that was that was really a breakthrough. But I think the most memorable thing that that will always impact me, and I, it, it it's when I came to the realization. Like, I always made the defense that games were art, because games always had a story, and games always uh, always spoke out to to me, and a lot of other gamers. Uh, the realization that games were art was, for me, Shadow of the Colossus. Mm. I know we talked about this briefly earlier. Mm. Um, but I'd just gotten it, I think it was, can't remember when it exactly came out, I think it was like 2004? Uh, late 2004. And uh, just playing that game, the entirety of that game. And I, I go back and I wonder how I beat that game because I didn't I'd know how to level up uh, my health or, or my stamina or anything like that. I just played it like straight stick the entire time just because I had no fucking idea what I was doing. But something about that game made me realize that games are an art form. And that's what really, I, th- I guess, it, as a whole, made me realize that this is why I play games. Uh, this is why mm. this is this form of entertainment. Yes, it's to kick back and relax and enjoy it, 
but it's also that there are things that gaming provides that other mediums can't provide. And just playing that game as an entirety, I would say that would be my my most memorable gaming experience. Just because there are things that game did at the time and and how they evolved the medium as a whole that I just haven't experienced in many other games since. So, yeah, I absolutely love that game and everything that game really did and how it spoke to me uh, that I can't really equate to any other memory I have with a video game. We'll see now, like Chris gives a, this like philosophical answer, and I'm just here, and I was just like, I got fat loots. <laughs> uh, I I like the both are just as valid. Um, Absolutely, I can have. Uh, yeah, I have memories of both. Like right where something where a game really changed. Like you could say, I played Shadow of the Colossus. I, I had a similar experience where. It just just put me in a headspace that I hadn't really been before, right? It's like the 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 mood, the vibe, the way got my mind thinking about things, and like it would it would bleed into other areas of life and change how I thought because of um. And I got I felt kind of emotional when you're talking about it. It was reminding me of that game. I never played the PS4 remaster. Did you? No, I haven't. I, I have the PS3 one. I played a little bit of that, and I played you know of course the PS2 original. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a really good game. Um, yeah, I'm glad you're the first one that's brought that game up. I think in all the podcasts, I don't think anyone's brought that game up before. That's a good one. It's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant game. And anyone who has never played it, there are so many ways, different ways to play it, and they really need to. It's yes, it's a masterpiece. And the world, the world is really well thought out. I remember, so I get in a bad habit, not a bad habit, but sometimes I just will read about like the lore of games. And people who like spend all this time. Anyway, the Shadow of Colossus, it created this crazy cult community that was just ripping that game to shreds, trying to find every missing model, every missing texture, every little hint to that. And that whole like following that community and reading about this basically journalists reporting on that community and just aggregating that information for me has also been like a, a weird. Uh, enjoyment because I've, I've been following i remember recently there was an article on kotaku that was like this i guess this one guy who's been digging around the source code of uh, shadow of colossus said like he's he's finally just gave up the ghost was like i can't find anything more there's nothing else to find <laughs> this was like 12 years after the game came out like, yeah. i found every hidden secret colossus model i found i went broke the map and went to every and just yeah, that game is. You're not the only one. Is basically what I'm trying to say. Like that game created an obsession in a like a, a community, almost like people talk about the Dark Souls community, which is a, is a is a part thing that I'm in. And uh, but the depth pales in comparison to the people who are into Shadows Colossus. Like that community is like that. It's almost like a religion. That's, that's funny because I was actually just about to bring yeah. that up about the Dark Souls thing because like after I got into the Dark Souls series, which I came into it a little bit later, I actually hated that game to start, but then I came back around to it and I fell super deep into it and actually they're some of my favorite games now and after I finished playing through yes. all three, um, man, I went on this really deep dive into the lore um, <laughs> for yes. quite a while. Yes. That's how I was with Dark Souls 1. I mean, Dark Souls 1, I had a kind of experience you're describing with Shadow of Colossus, where it wasn't, I mean, it's, they're not really the same in a lot of ways, but the sense of there's no explanation and you just feel like you're 
plopped in the middle of a world that's all fleshed yeah. out. You don't know the details, but you know everything has been fleshed out, and you can feel it. It feels yeah, just in it like feels I don't lived know, in like a like a sense. Yeah. No, yeah. Yes. yeah, no. The world yes. building in Dark Souls is incredible. And the thing about the world building in Shadow Colossus, and maybe correct me because I haven't played Dark Souls, so if I'm completely off on this, just let me know. Is we Dark will. Souls is complete? I mean, uh, Shadows of the Colossus is completely implied. Yeah, there is no, oh, there's no yes. narrative. Yep, it's go kill the thing, and then once you kill the thing, you it, every time you kill something, there seems to be something wrong every single time you do it, mm-hmm. and you yes, that's where the ending comes in. There's there's no real narrative, no exposition, uh, other than go kill the thing. Yeah, no, and, and that's and, that's very similar, yeah, to to Dark Souls because like they there's no you know huge long expositional dialogues or anything like that. Like, and I think that's part nothing. of what makes the world feel so real and so lived in. Like I said, is that you kind of enter into this world, and anybody else that is still alive or that is in this world just acts like you should already know a lot of what has happened. Yes. And yes. so, like, you need to find it out as you go along, either by reading, like, the flavor text of items you pick up or picking out pieces of dialogue, you know, that people say to you or or things like that, or just, you know, experiencing the world itself. And it's it, it's so well done. Const- contextual hints, like, you'll look at just, like, the space around a character, what, what items are laying around, what's their living space, and you can draw clues from that. It's a very similar. I, Shadows Colossus is a little more, I would say, less implied because you don't have text, like, descriptions on items. Right. Um, so you get a little bit more sort of scaffolding to build on with Dark Souls, but very, they're both very, very similar, and I think that's uh, I, the same thing. I, I went down a deep dive on Dark Souls lore. I've also gone on a deep dive down... Uh, Shadows Colossus War and what? Oh, excuse me, lore, not war. And what surprised me with both of those is how uh, attentive people are to the games and how they figure it. Because I would never be able to figure everything out. I have to, someone else has to do the work and explain. Yes, in Shadow of Colossus, when this happens, this happens, or when you kill the third boss, the line is this and this, and like they put all these things together. And there is a story to be found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you really have to pay attention and sort it out. And um, luckily, other people smarter than me <laughs> kind of helped me do that. But it made it it made it super enjoyable. Yeah, actually, I'll I'll do a I'll even do a quick shout out to you. You might be familiar if you went down that same rabbit hole. But um, there's a YouTuber called uh, Vati Vidya, and he has that's like basically his whole channel is talking about the the lore behind Dark Souls and Bloodstained and like that whole sort of implied shared universe which actually is part of some of the stuff he talks about anyway but i if you're i haven't heard of him what's it what's uh, it called Vati Vidya. Is it's channel? like v-a-a-t-i i think v-i-d-y-a or something like that i can i'll link it to you but um but okay. yeah he does an excellent job of like going through all of this stuff and even comes up with a lot of his own sort of theories on um some of the implied lore based on sort of the bits and pieces that you get in the different games and kind of like connects them together and everything. It's, it's super interesting. Oh, dang. Yeah. I've... Go ahead. By the way, if, if the never ending story ruins your childhood with a certain moment, <laughs> the, uh, the shadow of the Colossus wants you to revisit that. Betray you. I, uh, I did watch never ending story. What moment do you speak of? I don't know if I'm catching, I get mixed up. 
The one the horse? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, we're, 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 we're caught Atreus! up now. <laughs> yeah. Atreus or whatever his name is, the quicksand shit. Yeah. yeah. That that movie, by the way, I'm glad you guys brought it up. I bring that, peop- that movie up with people who are similar age. I was born in 85 as well. People don't know it. What? I'm like, how do you not know that movie? That's It's I, not talked about anymore. No one talks about that movie anymore. It's a it's, shame. It's almost talk, lost the time. Yeah, people talk about People talk about Goonies and Princess Bride, but they don't talk about Never Ending Story. No. All right. Let, you hear let's more, talk about yeah. the Page Master. Hear, let's let's go down that route. How about we start talking you, about <laughs> <laughs> Macaulay Culkin animated? Macaulay Hell Culkin? yeah! You can't go wrong with that. That way, Michael Jackson could have preserved him forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, on that's that a good note. one. That's a good one. Wow. <laughs> Speaking of, have you guys seen Leaving, Leaving Neverland? That. That hurt my soul. Uh, no, no, I have not. I feel like I probably don't want to. I don't want to. I, yeah. I like his music too much. Uh, I'm gonna. Yeah, just... yeah. It's uh between that and some of the other cases. It's just like it's it's kind of like man. It's really hard to 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 think that not at least some of that stuff has some merit right. to it. Yeah. It's a rough one. It's a rough one. Though, although I think it's a uh, it's either Louis C.K. or Chappelle. Has a whole bit defending Michael Jackson. That was Chappelle. Yeah. Good. That was in uh, Sticks was and Chappelle? Stones. Sticks and Stones. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty good. I think he does a good job of. Uh, well, whatever. It is what it is. Uh, Never-ending story. The, that horse scene, and then also the freaking wolf in the cave. It's like in the beginning of the movie. Oh yeah. Is that? Am I getting my movies mixed up? That's yeah. There's like a wolf with green eyes in a cave that attacks him. <sighs> That scared the shit out of me as a kid. <laughs> I need to revisit those old 80 movies. I need to watch The Dark Crystal again. Cause yeah, you do. That movie makes me feel all sorts of weird. Dark Crystal's so and good. I need to That's get some past weird it. stuff. The Netflix series is, uh, I watched a few yeah. episodes. It was interesting. It didn't catch me enough to uh, stick with it, though. Labyrinth's better. That uh, bullshit. Hey. You didn't say no. David Bowie's giant penis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Listen, if your only argument is the Goblin King's cod piece, then I don't think that's a solid enough argument. That's all I'm saying. It's better, it, has, it has better acting. And the characters yeah, don't look I as think... weird. Uh, listen, the Dark Crystal was an achievement in puppeteering, and I will thank you very much not to besmirch its name. I'm besmirching it. <laughs> <laughs> that new tactics game, though, that came out for uh, Dark Crystal is hot garbage, so don't do not do that, though. That was a bomb. Apparently, I got, yeah, I heard, I read some really bad. Yeah, I was bad super bummed about, about that because I wanted that to be good. I was like, what? Dark Crystal and tactics? That's like two of my favorite things, and it's bad. Good tactics game. We're, we're, we're due for another tactics game. There hasn't been a. People. Let us cling together, I think was the last good one. You guys tried Disgaea? People talk really yeah. good. I'd love to see Sky, is that how you say it? How many of you played? Because there's like a bajillion of them. Uh, I, I, I actually started playing it with the first one um, on the PS2. It actually got me back into video games, unfortunately for my wife. Um, <laughs> I, I was like really down and out on video games, and I got a PS2, and my friends like, try this game out. It's fun. And then all of a sudden, I was, I was a weeb again. I was a born-again weeb. And... <laughs> I I pre- never never doubt your Lord and Savior right. again. <laughs> so I got in I got into Sky and got into Sky too. Um, I didn't get into the whole entire level into uh, nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine vibe. I just kind of went through the plot because I thought the plot was so goofy and enjoyable. Even though I understand that's not the point of the games, 
but it's just no, yeah. it's so charming and endearing. I I I can't help myself but that's why I love those games. It's cuz they're so over the top and ridiculous. And when you compare it to Final Fantasy Tactics where it's like, "Hey, go kill Jesus." And then you play <laughs> uh Disgaea and it's like making fun of that, but it's not. It, it's it's so refreshing and I love it. I should try it. I mean, people speak really, really fondly of all those games. The Disgaea 5 was on sale on PC, but I'm like, ah, everyone always talks about the first two more. I don't know if I should start out with number five, so I didn't snag it. Um, it's also on, I think they're on the Switch, too. I think all of them are on the Switch. I think so. I, I think yeah. they all can get be obtained pretty easily, and they have, I think, one and two, they have complete versions. Uh, there's a sequel to one that you can get on the PS4, I think. I don't know if it's PS4 or PS3. But they're they're all pretty affordable. And and if you have all the old consoles, you can get them. And, uh, of course, I would go for anything with Alharl in it. Any, like, Disgaea 1 and Disgaea 2 and Disgaea 1 Complete. Because Alharl's the shit. Hey, by the way, I just... I wanted to ask a couple uh, uh, more RPG questions before we wrap up. Did you guys play any Breath of Fire? <laughs> uh, you know what, Chris? Why don't you go ahead and? <laughs> I've played Breath of Fire three and four. Um, Me too. I have those are the only two I played. I have not. Yeah, same here. I didn't play one or two. Uh, I tried playing one and two. I just think they're too slow. And I, I think if I played them back in when I was originally playing RPGs, I would have enjoyed them more. I just didn't. Three. Three's really good. It just felt directionless. And I didn't remember it being that way. Because I remember when I was playing four, I'm like, man, this isn't as good as three. I, like, three is so much better than this. And then when I was playing three, I was like, I am so totally wrong. Like, four is a much better game. But, um, I loved. Bre- We've almost had the exact same experience. I played three yeah. and four, loved them both, thought four was worse. And then when I went back and played them again, I thought four was better. Right. And I, I, Four looks better. Its plot is a little bit more coherent. There's more of a driving force, and I, I did a record. I uh, we have something called a rapid fire review on our podcast for our Patreon subscribers, and I did a review of Breath of Fire Three. And Shane captured he he captured everything perfectly. He he broke it down to one simple simple sentence. It's like uh, a review of Breath of Fire Three is God. What the fuck? And that's that's entirely the. <laughs> That's the plot of Breath of Fire 3. Pretty much. <laughs> it, it, it's weird, too, because in a way, Breath of Fire 3 kind of normalizes or at least uh, justifies genocide. And I found that very off-putting. And, like, if you read between the lines, like, they're, the, the, the main bad guy in the game commits genocide against an entire race of people. And at the end, they were like, yeah, we can kind of understand where you're coming from. I'm like, that's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> that's the worst thing I'm seeing here. Um, it's 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 an interesting game. It's fun. It has some good elements, and I I always love the the Breath of Fire three games. I mean the Breath of Fire games, uh, but they're just I don't know. They're not for everybody. If if you're a fan of the more bombastic RPGs that were released Final Fantasy seven and afterwards, you're probably not going to enjoy them as much. Yeah, I could see that. What about the other one I wanted to, other RPG series I wanted to talk about, uh, get your just quick rapid fire review on is Persona. Oh my god. <laughs> can you Shame can you have a short response one. about Persona? I don't I don't know if that's can possible. Can I have a short response? No, I just mean like the no. the general you. 
<laughs> no. The games are 150 hours alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before I go on a long, 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 well, hopefully not too long. Please don't. Shane, have you played any of them? Now, uh, I don't know if anybody has noticed, but, like, for the vast majority of this JRPG talk, I have been tapped the fuck out, because, like, I <laughs> like I, I have certainly played some of them, but like I said earlier, like, a lot of my RPG experience has been more in the Western stuff, so, like, you, if you start diving real right. deep into these, I'm just like, I got nothing. I'll try. We could, uh, one, one we could talk about, we'll go back to Persona. Did you play Dragon Age? Or Dragon Age Origins? I did. Yes. Or Inquisition? Yeah. Very good. Very yeah, we good could game. talk about Inquisition. Yeah, let's Ooh. do let's do Persona Inquisition. Then you guys can drop all your information mm-hmm. about your podcast Patreon, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay, so Persona. Uh, I was initially introduced to Persona back in the PS One days. I played the PS One release. I yes. got that when it came out. And Me too. Good. I did not like it. Uh, I did oh. not like Persona Two. Was it Innocent Sin? Was that the uh, uh, US? Innocent Sin? And then there's the other like heart of shit. There's two versions of this. there's there's two, there's two versions volumes. Yeah. I won't say versions. Volumes. Eternal Punishment. Eternal Punishment. That's, that's what came out in yeah. the United States. Is Eternal Punishment. Um, yes. Didn't like it. Uh, I think that was just because it was it looked like a 16 bit game, and I was a, a little bit of a graphics whore back then. Not a total graphics whore, but I was a little bit of one. I, I judged. Yeah. And. Um, didn't enjoy it very much. I still try to go back and I still can't, I can't really get into it, but then Persona 3 came out and it blew my fucking mind. I loved Persona 3. Um, didn't finish it on my initial playthrough, but absolutely adored it. Cause I think that was one of those games I had to stop playing cause I went on deployment and then I, I came back and I was about to transfer up to Great Lakes, uh, Chicago, uh, to go push boots for a couple of years and I got Persona 4, and I played the shit out of Persona 4. I beat Persona 4, and I... That is another fantastic, fantastic game. Um, played Persona 5. Again, another th- funny thing. Came back from a deployment. Came back from Diego Garcia when I started playing Persona 5. And I adored that, too. So the entirety of that series, uh, 3, 4, and 5, I will defend to the grave. Those are some of the finest RPGs experiences that you can find on the planet right now. Uh, if you just like, first of all, you have to be a little bit of a weeb because if you're not, wow, you're, you're yeah, not, what a surprise. You're not going to get into it. Yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> but in terms of in terms of gameplay, it has has a really good balance of what's difficult uh, and 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 simplicity. And I do think it can get too easy once you get into once you know what to do. But I will say that is, I loved it. Um, so much character development, so much charm. So you could tell there's a lot of love put in that game. Developing yes. it, uh, you can tell there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of care. Um, I, I, there's not much more I can say about it. It's just a fantastic series, and I don't know. I'll just say, uh, um, what, what's what's uh, Yuki Yukio Yukio best waifu in Persona Four? I know a lot of people hate her. <laughs> And uh, I'm sorry. I agree. I would agree. I'm not even going to argue. She has she has the best dungeon, and uh, the music, Giggity. especially if you got the soundtrack CD, it sounds like a fucking uh, strip club, and it should. So there you go. Love it. Big fan. Big fan of those two. I fi- I figured I figured you would uh, you would have played them. I did the same. Th- I actually played one and two, but I liked them. Uh-huh. I liked in one how you would have like third person, and then you'd also have first person sections, like when you went to town and shops. And I just liked 
uh, that everything was based on like demons and uh, the idea. It was like it, to right. me, well, it felt like, dark and a yeah, yeah that, dark and adult well, for that, a thirteen year old. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> It's yeah, edgy. That's why I got into it as an angsty teenager. That's why I picked it up because, like, oh, there's demons and shit. Yeah, this is gonna yeah. be cool. It's dark and moody. And then I played and like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's very, it's very. Yeah, the other thing that I would say, I like, I like anime. I like watch a lot of anime, but I have a like, I tolerate a lot of anime, <laughs> anime to to enjoy some other parts of anime. Yeah, and if you, uh, depending on how much sort of cheesiness and weirdness of anime you can tolerate persona may or may not be the but i don't think persona is like it's not that bad compared to like other animes that i've watched like the whole series where i roll my eyes and kind of put up with 30 percent of it because the story and the action is really cool and i just sort of tolerate the rest of it i don't think personas is is bad like maybe something because it's a video game it doesn't offend me as much mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't roll my eyes. Persona 4 is the one I played the most of. I like completely. I don't even know if there's a platinum for that game. But if there was, I would have gotten it. I did everything in that game. There might be, and, be for, uh, for Golden because it was on the Vita. From Golden, yeah. I didn't have Golden. Um, yeah, good games. But Western RPGs I also got way into. And another one I, I wanted to bring up was uh, I didn't play Dragon Age Origins, but Inquisition was a big game for me. And I thought, I figured... Maybe that's something Shane had played. Aha. Uh-huh. So, um, so Inquisition, no. I actually still, I own it. I just haven't played it. It's on the giant and ever-growing backlog of games that I have. But... Backlog. Don't we all yeah, have? It's, it's yeah, we all have Steam. a backlog. I think we have like 400-something things on Steam. But, uh, no. Uh, so, actually, just the Bioware RPGs in general, actually. Th- those were really big for me um dragon age origins for sure but i think honestly the ones that hit more for me personally um definitely knights of the old republic that game is amazing and it's actually one of the few games like rpg or otherwise that i have played through multiple times from start to finish purposefully just so i could see how the story played out differently um can you say the game again? You cut out right when oh, you said the Oh, uh, it's uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Knights of the Old Republic, yeah. okay. Yeah, Sweet. so I, I played through that game the first time, you know, to completion as, you know, a light side character, basically. Because if, if you're familiar with the Bioware games at all, you know that a lot of that stuff is, you know, there's a morality system of some kind. And the dialogue trees that you, you know, the choices that you make will affect your character's morality one way or the other. And of course, because it's Star Wars, it's a light side or dark side. And so I went a almost pure light side route the first time through. Um, and then the, I wanted to play it again. So I started from scratch and played through the game all the way again and just was a complete Sith asshole the second time through. Just so I could see how things changed because that that game and like that world that Bioware had built had just sucked me in so much. I'm still waiting and I've heard rumors that they are working on something Knights of the Old Republic related. There is rumors. Um, So I want to see Darth Revan in something because he absolutely deserves it. Um, But yeah, Knights of the Old Republic was a big one. Definitely. Um, Dragon Age Origins I definitely played that one. I came to it a little bit later, but um, I played that one all the way through. And I've always been a really big fan of, well, Bioware just in general up until recently. 
Um, but just the way that they've structured their games, the, the, you know, the deep dialogue choices and things like that. I know that that bothers some people. Um, if you're not into standing there and having your character talk for like five minutes at a time with somebody, then Bioware RPGs are probably not going to be your jam. But, uh, I have always been really intrigued by that and like how the interplay between the characters works out and the choices you make and how that affects how the story goes. Um, so yeah, like though a lot of those specifically were pretty big to me. I mean, of course we mentioned, you know, like Baldur's Gate and, and Neverwinter Nights and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, did you ever play, uh, they had one that came out after Knights of the Early Republic on Xbox called Jade yep. Empire. Yeah. Jade Empire is really good. I need to play. Yeah. That. I like that's, that one's good. That's one of the few ones I, I couldn't get in the Knights of the Old Republic. But I did get into Jade Empire. Yeah, no, Jade Empire is definitely another solid one. I think was there a was there an HD thing for that, or did it just get re-released? I can't remember. I think it was just re-released on platforms. It's on Steam. Yeah. Well, if it's on Steam, I'm sure there's probably some sort of like mod for it if you went went looking Mods for it. Yeah, but, for uh, sure. But yeah, man, during that time and for quite a while, like while Chris and and I guess presumably you were probably getting into a lot of the JRPG stuff real heavily, that's kind of where I sort of tracked more was just a lot of the the more westernized RPGs. Makes sense. Well, I'm gonna piss my pants. <laughs> We've already been at like two two hours. I've been drinking this whole time, so I'm like. I have to pee my pants. I'll put all these uh, links in the podcast description and all that stuff, but tell people where, to, where they can find you, Patreon, all the different options. Um, all right. Give them a rundown of where I all get, that's I at. I get to do my Shame. spiel. Fantastic. Take it away. <laughs> all right. So in the interest of brevity, um, so as we mentioned, we, we are the Retro Hangover podcast. So we're basically on most social media. So if you just search for Retro Hangover, you will find us. We're probably most active on Instagram um, and by proxy, I guess, Facebook. But Instagram is probably the best place to find us. We're also on Twitter. We cross post all that stuff. Um, so definitely check that out. As far as the podcast itself, you can pretty much find that anywhere. I think we're on just about every major podcast platform slash podcatcher at this point. So you can just uh, look us up. Um, we do have a Patreon, as we mentioned. So if you check us out and you do happen to like what we do enough that you actually want to give us money because you're crazy, then um, please feel free to go over to uh, bit.ly slash rhpatron. That will bring you to our Patreon page. And if you uh, donate at the 16-bit tier or above, that will give you access to our bonus audio content. Uh, which Chris had mentioned a couple of times, like our rapid fire reviews, uh, outtakes from our recordings um, and things like that. So definitely check that out if uh, you think it's worth your while. Uh, we also do have a merch store. Um, so if you want to go and buy a shirt or a mug or something like that, you can head to bit.ly slash RHP merch and uh, check out some of the stuff there. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's the plug. I think that's all of it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. You guys are dope as shit. Thanks for coming on to my brand new teeny little shitty podcast since you guys have been doing this forever. I've been trying to reach out because I've just been like homies. I did I did music all through my 20s and a lot of the guys I produced and toured with play games. So I've had a ton of musicians. Yeah. Um, I've had I've had some like game developers on, but I was like, I don't – you know what I need is I need to have some other dudes – well, I shouldn't – it could be female too. I'm just <laughs> – look, probability, probability is yeah. – 
<laughs> probability wise, if I had to put my money on as someone who is a nerd like me, they're probably going to be a dude as well. Uh-huh. So I get a pass on that one. But find other dudes who uh, podcast about video games. And I started researching, found your found your guys' uh, Symphony of the Night episode, started stalking you on Instagram. Their Instagram is awesome. Their posts, like, it's a good, there's like a whole world of like collector Instagrams. <laughs> and I, I don't get sick of any of them. Like, I don't ever get sick of seeing pictures of video game shit. Like, it's, uh, I don't know. I like it. You guys have a great page. Um, you've posted, what was it? One, I think you posted, there was a Sui Coden post and there was what, there was another one that set me off. I was like, oh, I, oh, Parasite Eve, which we didn't talk about. Oh yeah. You guys, one of you posted about Parasite Eve and I was like, these motherfuckers are legit. <laughs> I need to reach out to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, thanks. It's a, it's not a shitty little podcast. You've, you've done a great job of listening to, to a couple of your shows and you've been a most gracious host. You've been fantastic in directing the conversation. So absolutely. Thank you very much. For, for having us on. This has been an absolute joy and blast. I've fully enjoyed myself this entire time. 100%. Thanks, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Try to be fun. All right, guys. See you later. Peace. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. Thanks for listening to the entirety of the episode. Thanks again to the boys, Chris and Shane, over at the Retro Hangover Podcast. Again, all their shit in the applicable podcast descriptions. Next week, we have... Denny Huntsman, a another jujitsu school owner, legitimate black belt, all around badass. He will be on the podcast next week. Until then, stay safe. Don't get the Rona. Do some shit at home. Play some games. And this is the I can't think of a better time to catch up on your backlog than right now. Uh, spread the good news of the Gaming Memories Gospel. The Lord will bless you. I'm not going to promise that if you follow me, the prophet, you're you're not going to get the Rona. Because I'm an honest prophet. I tell the truth. Just because you follow me doesn't mean you're not going to get the Rona. You're going to get the Rona. But at least you'll be entertained while you have it by listening to me, the one true gaming podcast prophet. Until then, love you all. Stay safe. Have fun. Bye-bye.